Welcome to the Cinema Swamp. Okay. Let's party. Finally, in episode 49, we discuss the work of Quentin Tarantino. We talk about everything, starting with Reservoir Dogs and ending on his new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Join the Cinema Swamp crew as we gush over one of our favorite directors. You guys ready? (laughs) We can start talking about uh, Quentin Tarantino here on the Cinema Swamp podcast, starring one Justin Wilton, and across from me. Are we starting? Yeah, well, oh, I started. I'm we're, I, is that alright if I rolled in? Yeah, way? I like it. It was yeah. so low key. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I read under my radar. Low key, like Quentin Tarantino. Uh, to my right, we got two. Mr. Blonde. <laughs> Mr. Pink. <laughs> Why do I have to be Mr. Pink? Why can't I be Mr. Purple? <laughs> no, I'm Zach. I'm Chloe. Now, if I let you change Mr. your White. name, everybody wants to change your name. <laughs> I already got a Mr. Purple. I like my cup being filled six times. That's why I don't tip. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, we could quote just Reservoir Dogs only and only talk about... And then be like, we talked all about Tarantino. <laughs> okay, you know, back to the MCU. <laughs> no, just saying that big Hollywood directors are dicks to MCU... There was a video of Quentin Tarantino talking about all the references, yeah. and he loves them. And he and he was like, he like knew the movies, and I was like, dude, this dude has watched them more than once. Well, like, was it, it was the, MCU movies? Yeah, he was in Winter Soldier, or not him, but it was uh, and the quote. Yeah, Sam, Sam just, Jackson's uh, gravestone. It was what was it? Zechariah Jeremiah um, seventeen. The path of the righteous yeah. man. They just wrote that. Oh really? That was a direct, and it had quote. like the. Huh. There's a couple yeah. uh, references to Tarantino movies in them, r- kind of subtle, but he was like talking about them, and like the re- interviewer was like, "I don't remember what Captain America." He's like, "It was Winter Soldier," and I was like, "This dude has seen them a couple times. Like he yeah. knows these, and he never talks about." It, but it's like, well, you can- I just other- listened to an interview, the podcast that I told you a few weeks ago. Like he was on uh, on uh, this critic that I listened to was on her podcast. And he was, like, talking, like... I don't know, he's like, the last MC movie I saw was Black Panther. Which, I don't know if that's true or not, but... Maybe just, he cared up until a certain point, mm-hmm. and now it's got too much to him. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably can, like, see every movie, but, like... Like, he was talking about in that video, too, like, Infinity War. And I was just kind of surprised, because I, I felt like, given how every big director kind of shits on them in a way, like, doesn't... Mm-hmm. I don't know, it just seems like everyone kind of joins the crowd of not liking him. It was kind of cool that Tarantino, who's already famously not too pretentious about things, like, mm-hmm. he likes he likes some he just seems like a normal guy. grindhouse movies mm-hmm. once in a while and black exploitation shit like mm-hmm. that. It was cool that you could tell he liked the MCU movies, or at least has seen them, and I was like, yeah. I, I'm like, see, there He's you go. He's got his own theater, like, right. in, I don't know, West Hollywood or something, but... Um, the interview asked, I think, if if he's ever shown modern movies. I think he's shown, surprisingly, like a Transformers movie or something <laughs> at his theater. <laughs> but otherwise, he shows stuff Never like mind. Enter the Dragon and Valley Girl. Yes. But lost all credibility after showing Transformers. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but yeah, we're talking about fully loaded. <laughs> Tarantino is one of those guys where you can just like listen to him talk all day about movies, mm-hmm. like multiple interviews. I I watched probably every podcast he's been on 
except the one you're talking about. But yeah, um, I can't remember the name of it now. He I always does a who does it. But. He does a round of new interviews every time there's a new movie, so I catch up on those. But like all his old stuff, I've seen and his mm-hmm. old interviews because I'm I'm interested in the dude. He makes mm-hmm. good movies, obviously. I mean, he wouldn't go on this long. Mm-hmm. Um, to prepare for this podcast, we watched a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them for the first time. Some of them um, hadn't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just going to kind of go down the line, I guess. Yeah. Can we start with uh, what was the first Tarantino movie you guys saw? Inglorious Bastards. Uh, in a theater, DVD. On DVD. Because that was the year where... What was it 2009? I was just trying to see more good movies because I was at that point in my life and I heard it was good and I knew nothing about it except for that mm. and it was awesome <laughs> I liked it then and I, I still like it yeah I don't know it was a cool movie I watched it with my family I don't know if they loved it as much just cause maybe the cursing was a bit <laughs> bit much was a bitch <laughs> it was a bitch cursing was a bitch I don't know like I don't know how much F-bomb is in that movie maybe not as much as the other ones but uh yeah, I think that was my first one. But for you, or the rest of you? For me, I can't remember what I saw first. I, I remember seeing probably like a half hour of Death Proof at one point. I remember seeing probably a half hour of Inglorious Bastards. But the first full-length movie I remember watching was either... Hateful Eight or Django Unchained. I, I think it was Django Unchained. Mm. It was the first full movie. Um, and I loved it. and went crazy about it. But I still, like, I was into movies, but it wasn't, like... I didn't know a lot about, like, directors yet. I didn't know, like, the behind-the-stuff. I just knew, like, there was, like, all these movies that I thought were really good because of these reasons. And uh, that's kind of why I discovered who Quentin Tarantino was, I guess. And then... I think the second movie I saw that like was like okay this guy I need to watch everything he has was Hateful Eight and that Mm -hmm. was like I watched it not knowing it was him and uh yeah I'm blown away by that one and then tracked down a bunch after that but I want to say Django was I watched it with my family and we were all like because my dad loves westerns like oh yeah I heard this is a western (laughs) I heard it's a little gory my dad's like I don't care it's western and then we start watching he's like holy crap <laughs> like my dad was like shuddering the whole movie did he dig it he he really liked it but he also so hated it just because of like, the gore and like and I guess the n-words too well not Hateful Eight Jingle oh, no because yeah. I was gonna say <laughs> he did hate, watch Hateful Eight and Hateful he was Eight like, would be a great one for like western older western guys to watch because they would hate it and it would be amazing my dad he loved it but he's, he's like so slow he's like but then it got so crazy and yeah. He liked it, but it was also... Uh, he liked Django more, but he... I don't know. He just said, he thought it was a bit much. Mm-hmm. So, maybe it was the swearing or the... I, I mean, it is a bit... I mean, I can get why someone would say that. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's... He's used to Clint Eastwood, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, that, but a, I mean, it's cool He's that, used like, to uh, white heroes in his movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I think it's cool, though, that, like, he, he like, saw a modern Western that was so outside mm-hmm. the... Like, it's... It's the same kind of realm, but it's definitely way beyond it too. Like yeah. it's definitely way different. I think it's cool that he still kind of dug it because I think I think that's interesting because I I'd, I'd love to see like older 
you know, kind of white guys in their like sixties or seventies watch something mm-hmm. like Django and still dig it because yeah. it def- it still has every quality to it that makes a good western. Yeah. It's just real crazy with the blood and swearing, and that's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. yeah, I think he, the vibe I got was like he down deep he loved it, but he won't let himself love it on the outside because <laughs> like he still has to be like this, like <laughs> this like <laughs> Republican Christian dad, where like. Yeah. Sorry, Republicans out there. Uh, Sorry, but, Christians. But, out there. but from my experience <laughs> with my own father, he's like, it's felt not, like he couldn't like it. He, it, it's it not felt like he'd normally. Like I felt it. like he wouldn't he say that he loved it in front of our family, but like deep down, he's like him and Quentin Tarantino would not get along. I mean, it's like the point. So it's cool that he likes his movie. Probably not. <laughs> he probably love all his movies and then meet Quentin Tarantino, not like him, and then realize he's like, what? This thing got. <laughs> Like how he talks too too fast. <laughs> uh, my first Tarantino experience was also in Glorious Bastards. Nice. Uh, we rented it from the gas station when it came out on DVD, and my dad was like, "This is a Nazi killing movie, so we're gonna watch it." <laughs> Nazi? <laughs> they say it like Nazi, yeah, or like probably. <laughs> my dad. My dad was just like your dad. Redneck kind of Republican Christian dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fun fact: My dad sold your dad a bow. I think. Yeah, pretty sure. Back in the day. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. I didn't know it was Tarantino. I didn't know about Tarantino movies. I've saw a lot throughout the years, not knowing like Django. I didn't know it was Tarantino until later. I saw Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. I wonder how many people have seen Inglorious Bastards just for being a war movie, yeah, and not realize that there's any a connection lot. to Tarantino. Mm-hmm. A lot. I bet you there's a lot for Django too, because Django, as of right now, is his highest grossing movie. Mm-hmm. And it has to be because it was like the first Western in a long time, and I'm sure there are a lot of Western fans who were like, "Yes," and I'm sure they still liked mm-hmm. it. They were like, "Man, bloody!" But I loved it. Like, and I'm sure they yeah. have no idea who Tarantino is. Star-studded cast too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That was the first Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, my first one was actually so I saw that both Kill Bills were on Netflix, and I watched them both in the same. You're saying day. all the Kill Bills are on Netflix at one time? <laughs> all of them. All of them. But yeah, so I watched those one after another. It was the beautiful And that's experience. how I watch them all the time now. When I watch one, I watch them both. I've never done together in it's one day before. a whole day affair. It is. I a whole to. bloody affair. Um, so that, but that's your all-time favorite movie now. One of your all-time favorites anyway. Yeah, I think. I don't know if I put it on my top ten, because I couldn't rate them separately. Mm-hmm. But in my Tarantino list, they're number one. Mm-hmm. Well, Did well, you put the bloody affair as one of them? I think I kept it out of my top ten to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. Conflict of interest. Is it actually one uh, or two movies? Oh, it was in it's my one. honorable we'll mentions. But in his list, I consider him one movie. I consider and him outside the list, like in my one top one hundred, I just put one after each. Will, 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 will get. Do you, Chloe, so there you like them the most. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember. I have to look at my list. I think they're my favorite, too. But do you, have you ever seen any old, like, Japanese samurai movies at all? Like, does that vibe, like, you just like it because they're good? Or do you have any, like, samurai bone in your body where you're like, <laughs> mm, I like samurai movies and that's why? <laughs> I think it was just cool to see Uma Thurman just murdering yes, everybody. Right. That was It's really always cool. good. And it's just, they're fun movies. I think she's just a fan of gore. That's probably yeah. Weird. Is it the <laughs> gorest? I mean, that has probably the gorest scene, is the yeah. first Kill Bill. Yeah. 
It's, it's pretty gory. Yeah. yeah. It can be. It's you think that's the goriest of all his movies? Probably not. I'd probably go like Hateful Eight. Was... He well, is super gory. It's probably a time in Hollywood. It's pretty gory at the end. <laughs> at the end. Yeah. But I'd almost call that his least gory movie, just because it's all at the end. It's the shortest gore. Movie. I think it's but probably it was his like, least gory. Just because they, they waited till the very end, it just seems more intense. Yeah. But there's overall. Like, Hateful Eight is really gory, but that, I would it maybe say stretches out. Django. Yeah, that Django guy gets eaten by the dog. Yeah. Ah, uh, but I Hateful Eight. You don't see the whole thing though. It's you see quite a bit of you see a lot of blood. Yeah, and it goes on. From, it, <laughs> it starts pretty early, and it, and it's and it lingers because it's all in that same room. And Jackie Brown. Everybody's everyone dies in that movie. Yeah, like it's not like um, it's not because Django. Yeah, it's like gory, but I don't know because like to me, there's something about Django that seems like more cartoonish with the blood, and mm-hmm. hateful eight yeah. seems more like well, I'm just like sitting in this filth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I, I I would assume from I always thought Django would be because it has more gore throughout the movie. Yeah, you know, guys getting does. blown up with dynamite. I think Tarantino himself got blown up with dynamite <laughs> in the movie. I can't remember which character, I but like blood there. all the shooting, all the stuff with Christoph Waltz shooting people, all the way up to the guy eating until Django's rampage at the end. But I don't know. Yeah, Django's is it's <clears> like. Almost a superhero movie in the sense that it's like so violent that it's like fake. It's probably why. I yeah, like it. honestly, I think when I think of Django as a character, he's they build him up to be such a legend in the yeah, movie with like his he, own theme song that like I think of him as like yeah, like a Paul Bunyan or like a exactly like the guy who's Buffalo the guy Bill, with, the guy who did the John Rose. Henry, old yeah. yeah. Old Yeller. <laughs> yeah. Well, he got his own song. Jesus. <laughs> that <old> fake <laughs> That legend, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, something dog and no It's one of my favorite myths. <laughs> um, yeah, like, what you, you, you want to start The Old Wives Tale. Yeah, let's start with his first movie and work our way. Reservoir Dogs in 1992 was partly made because of Harvey Keitel. Who'd like what, what accent is this? Yeah, what is that? Don't quite know. <laughs> he's turn, he's turning into you know those like he's twins Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking those uh, twins from Family Guy who are like most definite. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. <laughs> like the two. I, I don't know who I'm being right. I like the Tommy Wiseau. Uh, now it's now coming up. Christopher Walken. Hey, what's going on? Um, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. No, because I, I was thinking of like the uh, reservoir like the the way like Canadians like to spell it with the U oh. in there and everything I was reservoir? thinking that, yeah. it's just reservoir yeah no but like it, but Canadians throw a U in everything correct but it's they, just, just so you guys but know. they throw a U in everything for like no reason like chocolate well that's like, anything that's it's pretty color, much part of like the, the commonwealth yeah. Yeah, we're the only ones who don't put the U in yeah we're also yeah. the only ones that don't use the, the, the uh, I almost got, call it the kilometer system the metric system the, the <laughs> kilometer <laughs> system that's how you know I'm American kilometers you know and in science we use that anyway so it's really just we're just, we're just stupid <laughs> that's really it they're just waiting for us all to shoot each other which probably will happen oh, yeah. we'll be surprised. speaking of shooting each other reservoir <laughs> <laughs> um so, like, everyone, what, I mean, I guess roughly, when was, like, kind of, I guess your order of seeing this? Because I feel like I saw this one 
pretty early on after learning about Tarantino. I think Pulp Fiction. Once I knew Tarantino was like the first one's Pulp Fiction. This, you know, this was the first one I watched to prepare for this. That you hadn't seen at that all. That I hadn't seen at all. You never saw this until we watched it. I'm surprised. No, well, I watched Unless it before. I watched it. I've I've seen it twice now. I watched it by myself, preparing because I didn't know we were gonna do like movie nights. Mm-hmm. So I I watched that first, and then we watched it again. Oh, okay. So I've seen it twice now. All right. Well, that's a good way to watch it. Um. But yeah, I don't know. Like I remember like finally getting the chance to see it, and everyone was like. Pulp Fiction's his best movie, and then there's like, and then there's this one, and this one's pretty good. And I remember watching this after Pulp Fiction and being like, I, I feel like this is a better movie. Like, I really like this movie. I, I like this movie a lot. As good as Pulp Fiction, I have I have issue with myself saying it just because I don't know. There's it's there are things about it that I probably don't like as much, but I don't even know how to like describe it. But uh, what was everyone else to kind of think of the movie? Because I think it's great and. As far as, like, you know, those early 90s indie movies go, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best still, and I yeah. think it's aged spectacularly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's... I mean, if if we are just going to compare it straight to Pulp Fiction, um, I think it's a better movie... I don't, don't want to say that definitively, but uh, I'd say Pulp Fiction is more fun. But mm-hmm. I feel like Reservoir Dogs, like, I have more respect for it. Maybe we'll say that. Um, dang, I actually don't know. I, I, okay, I'm not gonna choose which one. I mean, <laughs> I have them down here. You ordered them. You have to. I choose. did. Okay, I have Reservoir Dogs about Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but then that was before we watched them recently, so now I'm re guessing. No, I, I have Pulp Fiction about. I know what's the look. I I like Reservoir Dogs because and but mm-hmm. it's kind of for like a. A cheap reason because this isn't what Tarantino's known for, but I like that it is a much more focused, concise story, and I do like the story of this movie in that mm. it's very simple. These people rob a bank. There's a rat. They have to find out who it is, and we, the audience, don't even find out until literally halfway through the movie. And, and when they, we and they don't start with like the beginning. Well, they do start with the beginning, but then like, they, they, they jump they around a lot. They litter things throughout it, and there's a very perfectly good reason as to why they're ordering it the way they have to, because they don't want to reveal um, who the rat of the movie is. You know, the guy, the, the who the police officer is. I and I, I I dig that part of it, and then we learn who it is, and then we learn how he got involved in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. There's like there's stuff like that where I'm like. It, it's just on a certain level it's kind of weird to accept a lot of it because I'm like well he he got in with these guys really easily and I'm like who are these guys exactly but that's just how I am with every gangster movie where I'm like is this really how gangsters are <laughs> like I always think that every time I watch one I'm like is this really how it is well like, yeah there's like a deep level of sophistication but then also how could that slip up be that bad but then yeah. I think of it like it reminds me so much of Baby Driver or maybe Baby Driver reminds me of this it's almost the That's same. It's almost the same movie in terms of like the, that prepping and that like them talking about it. Yeah. It's like the same. I'm like, I wonder if that's so, just yeah, how easy it is to it get is. into the mob or like or to to be like. I don't know, but it's it's cool because it was like the first. I mean, I I guess I shouldn't say the first, but one of the ones that I've seen that the gangsters, as you can call them, I guess mobsters, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them. 
they talked like normal people. Like that conversation at the cafe. It's not. Yeah. It's None not, of them feel evil. Yeah. They're like, oh, these are like a bunch of like. They could be dads. They could be like you could be that person sitting next to them at the cafe, like at the table over. It's such a weird turn from like two years earlier with Goodfellas and the Joe Pesky. Like he's angry and just just not a good guy all around. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of are scared of being around him. Like some of these guys, like oh, I could see them being pals outside. If you, like we even get that Michael Madsen scene early on where he's just like coming back after prison and. He's just kind of playing around, which that whole scene's kind of weird. But like, but it's, it's like real good. he he's playing around with them and being just kind of like you could tell that they're friends. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of there's a camaraderie here mm-hmm. that you don't really see in other movies because every other movie is like, oh, any second I feel like they could turn against each other. I don't feel that in this movie. I don't mm-hmm. feel that they would turn against each other. And that's kind of a main point. Yeah, you when, you when you, get it, to the end. when you get to the end, you actually start accepting why they're actually turning against each other, and it's for everybody's got a legit reason mm-hmm. for doing it. And um, that's what kind of makes the ending way better. Because, like, if you could... Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I even... I just saw this movie the other night called The Kitchen, mm-hmm. which is another kind of one of those gangster movies. That's that, the female mobster movie. Also right? DC movie. Weird. It's yeah. a weird Yeah, movie. that's but, weird. Um, did it have the DC thing in front of it? Yeah, it did. Really? It was so weird. I was like, this is a weird movie. But that movie, I, I never accepted that any any Moon one of Knight them... Is in it or whoever the heck... Or, no, that's Marvel. Sorry. <laughs> Superman showed up. No, it's like any second. I, I I never believed that they wouldn't not turn against each other. Like mm-hmm. I I felt like I feel like any one of these people are just gonna kill the other anytime soon. I feel like they'll all be dead at the end. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that with a lot of gangster movies. And this one I didn't. And then when you get to that ending, you're like, wow, I can't believe they actually got to this point because you don't really believe that they could. But it's so believable. And then at the they same do time. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, even up until like like. Uh, Harvey Keitel is like uh, holding like Tim Roth and like Tim Roth confesses to him and he pulls the pistol up to his head mm-hmm. and they're bo- all like both of them are crying and this is the last time I watched it was the first time I realized that like at least the first time I thought that um crap what's his face what am I thinking Steve Steve Buscemi. I thought he uh, got away too. I thought he got away, and then this time I'm like, you hear the mm-hmm. cops pull up and shoot him. I was gonna mention him. Yeah. I didn't. And I'm like, he what? actually. I thought he got away, and I was like, in I like that he got away in the beginning. I and now I'm like, I think oh, he this makes lives. It even, maybe you, I, because you can you can hear like there's a shootout at he's first, but then Buddy Holly you can, I think you can kind of hear that. Yeah, like, I think he's like he's okay, I'm getting out, yeah. and that kind of is in character with him because the whole time he was trying to be the smartest of all of them and mm-hmm. avoid the gunfight. And like at the end, he was like, yeah, "I'm not going to die for this." Like, mm-hmm. and um, but yeah, it's. Uh, but then you was, don't know if does Harvey Keitel shoot Tim Roth through the head again? I can't remember. Doesn't the camera fade? It like. It like zooms in on them and then like goes away from them before you hear the. Yeah, it cuts to black and then you hear two gunshots and then I guess you're either supposed to believe that he shot Tim Roth and then the cops shot him or maybe there were two. Or he pulled on the cops instead. Or there were two cops that shot him. Yeah. But I don't know. I think one of the coolest aspects of this movie is just shows how ridiculous the LAPD is, where they like throw this guy into this situation and even though they're literally like. Right outside, like that one cop's complaining about. It. He's like, "They're right outside. Why don't they come and save you?" When you're literally sitting here in a bloody pile of, of a mess right now, mm-hmm. and he's getting tortured, but they're literally waiting so they can get the bigger guy. And it's like, 
dude, really? But it's like, yeah, that is probably what they would do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this movie, if you add some, like, context to it, it's like this came out right around the time the L.A. riots happened and the LAPD was already not in the best of, mm-hmm. like, view. Most people kind of viewed them negatively. So I think this movie kind of came out at a good time where it was, like, it was about a cop in the LAPD running this kind of thing to get one guy, mm-hmm. to get... One, not even the other guys to get this one guy and it's like to a point you're kind of I, I don't know it makes me more question that than a question anything else in the movie I think that's kind of the most compelling part of it it's like why would you go to all these lengths to do this it's mm-hmm. like but people do and I'm like that's ridiculous like yeah. you kidding me <laughs> um I I do kind of wonder what do you guys think of the whole cause I think one of the other strongest parts about it that people perceive is the relationship between Harvey Cattell and Tim Roth. Now they kind of almost have a father-son relationship. He reveals his name to him. He's kind of helping him, and he even believes him towards the very end, mm-hmm. which I really like. But I guess the stuff earlier, I don't know if they build their relationship enough. To me, it doesn't ever feel like it, because I feel like a lot of the flashbacks don't... I guess I'm not waiting for them to play catch or something, but like mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't ever feel like... I think that just goes back to... How they're like actually good people, mm-hmm. just doing bad things. Because mm-hmm. like he cares about him because he's he's like dying in his arms. Yeah, and he feels bad for the kid. He feels bad for him. Yeah. But my big issue is like this is like my only issue with the movie is that I there's a scene where they're escaping after Quentin Tarantino gets shot in the head and they're kind of leaving the scene, and they're the only ones and they have to go pretty much rob somebody of their car. And Tim Roth, you know, eventually gets shot, and he shoots the woman back, and that's the part where I think really breaks him, and he, like, is becoming a mess after that point. But I I don't ever understand why Tim Roth didn't turn against Harvey Cattell then. Like, I just don't understand that, because I get that they want to get the big guy, but I just don't... It was only him and Harvey Cattell. Why doesn't he just turn against Harvey Cattell? And I guess your whole issue is, well, it's because he sees him as a father now, and he can't just kill him. He can't no, just... because... But, because his mission was, or his whatever, was to get Joe, like the bigger guy. So he had to he had to stay undercover until they all went to the safe house mm-hmm. and wait for the cops to come and bust the main guy. Yeah, I guess it was part of his. But I I don't know. And plus, like, after that, he got shot in the stomach, so he couldn't really do much. I know, but like I'm saying, like right before that, right after Quentin Tarantino dies, my first thing would be, it's only you and me now. So hey, by the way, because that whole plan went to crap. I don't think Tim Roth was planning on everyone escaping. You know, like I feel like, like kind of, but like I think he was kind of more hoping that it would have been fishier if he was the only survivor in his group. I think. Well, Tim Roth was the one who tipped off the police in the first place. Yeah. So, like... And I'm thinking, like, what was their plan, then? If they were going to get the bigger guy... Right. What, what was their plan here, then? They because probably if he thought wasn't they would involved, get them all in the middle of the heist, instead of... But he was never even there. So then what would have been the point of taking... Like, I get that taking them down, because you don't want to have anyone die. But it's like, I guess... Probably have one of them confess, maybe. Yeah, or was the plan still, oh, let them get released to the warehouse? Because they make it sound like that later. But I'm like, I don't know, at that point, that seems like very... Like, you're, you're leaning a lot on this plan for that guy to show up here. And even by the end, I'm always surprised that he does show up, because I'm like, that's really stupid of him to come here. Like, 
It's not because because he even says there's a rat, and I'm like, yeah, there's a rat. So why why are you here? Like, wouldn't you want to keep away from the potential rat? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just talking about like the one thing that kind of bothers me, and I just don't get why he doesn't shoot Harvey Cattell. And I, I know why he doesn't, yeah. but I just don't see the early enough like basis for not doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. I guess I just don't buy the relationship as much as hmm. they wrote into the movie. The first time I did, the second time, yeah, I guess I didn't as much. But Should your ratings for this one? Um, I think I give it uh, maybe four out of five stars. I give it a four. I give it a four. Um, I think I gave it a three. Whoa! <laughs> Wait, Chloe didn't like this list? movie. Not really. Do you know where it ranks in your list? Yeah, it's number seven on my list. Mine's also number seven. Yeah. And I did out of nine. I don't know if that's what we did. Mine's out of ten because I did the Kill Bill separately. Oh, okay. Mine are like one after another. So I guess if okay. I had both Kill Bills on there, well, it would be eight. I should have had a... Should we? Yeah, we should talk. How are we going to do with Kill Bill? I say we count it as well, well, how about we get to it because I, it's part of it. It's okay. part of what we're talking about there, but right. I'll, we'll we'll get to cool. it. Because if so, I'll just just include it how on. you want now. But we'll get out. We'll right. go to because I have an argument for it. But cool. it's number six on my list. Um, yeah, it's number six on my list too. And that's the thing. Like that's number six, and it's still four and a half stars mm-hmm. out of five. So I'm like, that's how good I think all these movies are. <laughs> um, but yeah, we probably should move on to the mm-hmm. next, yeah. the biggest movie I guess he ever did. Um. People argue, I guess, that's his best movie, Pulp Fiction, 1994. People say he, he rose that high and he never got that high again, which I would argue against. No. It's, it's funny because Pulp Fiction I really like, and I think I even still put it very high on my list of his movies because it is a great movie, and it's an interesting movie. And it's a movie that I, I you don't really see anything else like it. And when you see the imitators, you're like, there's a Pulp Fiction wannabe. And some of them are good and most of them are bad. But it's like, this was very unique of what it is. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I still don't, compared to everything else he did, I'm like, I just feel like Pulp Fiction, compared to some of his other stuff, is not as good. People are always like, Pulp Fiction's like his best movie his opus and I can get it because I mean probably at the time especially it was like the script is great yeah and I mean it's it's one of the, it's everyone mentions it's always out of order and I always thought that it was so cool because to me it like you know it technically the story would end if you go in order with Butch driving away on the motorcycle like I feel like that's the final scene chronologically mm-hmm. but in the movie, they don't have it be the last scene, but they still want that kind of stuff in the movie. But the last scene really should be where it is, which is at the diner. But they, if you actually have the story put together, it can't end there unless you do it out of order. So I always thought that's why they did it out of order. Mm-hmm. To me, anyway. And what, well, I, feel, I feel like this is the first movie that you really get that Tarantino feel. Like, Reservoir yeah. Dogs had it, but this one, like, really had it. After watching this, you can tell what Reservoir Dogs is that he kind of played it a little more low-key just because it was like it was his first movie and he wanted to make a movie just to impress people. Like, look what I can do with a couple dollars and a first-time filmmaker. But, and I don't know if it began with him. I don't think it did, though. But a lot of people since then have done as their first movie, always involving gangsters in some sort of form, 
usually taking place in one location. A lot of stuff kind of grew from that, but I feel like it had been done before. And it is a good one to start out with because I feel like those kind of movies are interesting. But this one, I was like, wow, he really took a chance with this one. Where he got weird with it. Mm. He threw in weird set pieces, weird characters, and weird scenarios. And you can tell already that he's touching a lot of the stuff that he loves personally in movies and throwing it into this. So, like, I get, like, why people are like, this is the better movie. And, yeah, I think it, too. Like, I think it is the better movie. Um... But between this and Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, between, yeah, those two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you all think, though? I guess as much as I want to be cool and be like Reservoir Dogs, I like it better, it's a better movie. <laughs> I, I'm wrong. Like, I think, I think Pulp Fiction is... I think it gets maybe too much praise. Like, it's overhyped. Um... But I can't deny that it is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And that it is, for its time, for a director's second movie, for Tarantino's story behind like him coming up into filmmaking, it is like a... It's almost like a testament of the hero's journey of Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I like the movie so much. It's like, you know, that's like Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star is like... That Tarantino making <laughs> Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction is like I'm like nice you did it you did something that's lasted the test of time people love it it's got a few problems um, and uh, I mean I, I love it I really do I like I, it I there's a like... couple I think there's one part I'm not a fan of and I think it's is it the pot belly part no that no actually I really like the whole thing between oh you like that yeah okay. no it's the the dead storage scene I think is way overdone and a little bit um pretentious for Tarantino are you talking about the part where the wolf actually comes and cleans it all up yeah but when but right before it right when he's saying the way like, he's acting about it he's, he's like does my house say dead n-word storage you don't like that part he says it like 30 times and he yeah. says it so and it's like on him it's Tarantino wrote it it's him saying it mm. and I'm like I get it he wants to be edgy no one is putting that many n-words in a movie at this time and like I see what he's trying to do with it and it's fine however like after listening to a couple podcasts about him like he regrets it a little bit Putting it, like trying to be that edgy, not the gore, not the the weird sex stuff, but putting that many n words in one scene was a little bit like overdoing it. I guess like it wasn't like Django where it's a civil war movie. Right. It's like a douchebag in L.A. And I guess <laughs> that's, it, it that's the feel, point. Is that it did feel to, real though? Like, they're trying it, to make it a real person. But I will say. And, I mean, and we're, I guess we're starting to get into, like, some of the problematic issues with Tarantino that are mostly speculative. Like, I don't... I mean, I know it's there, but it's, like... Mm-hmm. I still think this is all speculation. Like, we don't really know. Yeah. And I think there's enough proof that Tarantino isn't really a racist person and such. Mm-hmm. But it is very weird that he wrote the movie, directed the movie, and he He did is, that scene He is the character who gets to say this scene. Yeah. And it's multiple times. And it's like, yeah. I will say, it does make me cringe because, yes, the word, it does make me cringe. I'm not going to be cool and be like, no, anyone should say No, it mm-hmm. does. I, I, yeah. It just makes me cringe. And when I see a white person saying it in a movie with really no, like, 
point to it other than I'm just saying it because either realistic or edgy. Yeah, it makes me cringe. End of story. If it's and if it's a it did in Reservoir Dogs too yeah. when Steve Buscemi said it. Even when he says that line in Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs, it seems like he kind of feels uncomfortable saying it. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, it does. And I'm like, yeah, why are you saying it right now? Just to be like, oh, we're because there's no other white guys in that crew, mm-hmm. so maybe they are kind of racist. It is LA. I mm-hmm. get it. But at the same time, I don't know. It's just like I I don't see the point of throwing it in, other than it's oh, just it's like the early '90s were being edgy. Yeah, out of, out of the, as many times as he said it, it felt like he just said it. If he had said it one time, no big deal, or two times, three times, fine. But he says it a lot. <laughs> it's many lot. times. Like I was like thinking because I like heard people point out before, and that last time I watched it, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of much. And, the and other- I another thing too. Sorry, uh, Reservoir Dogs. His beginning part where he's talking about uh, like a virgin Mm -hmm. that part too seemed like he's trying to be a little bit edgy yeah like his it makes sense to what he's saying I get it I love that whole diner scene but because it's he wrote it and he's the one saying it and he's the one acting it out felt kind of weird Maybe meta, I don't know. And I think he in that movie he was just like trying to be funny and I think sometimes you can tell he's trying to give himself some of the funnier lines. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, like I think his lines have gotten funnier over time with the less edge that he gets. Because like in those movies it was like like you said, dead and word storage. Mm-hmm. And I've I've heard people quote that line to me. Mm-hmm. With the movie, and that's kind of another part that bothers me. It seems like people are what like, scenario would well, they be quoting that to you? Well, no, because, because, <laughs> Justin, no, they're, they're quoting the movie because like, like oh, I love say. that movie. I love that scene where he says this, and then they like say the line, and I'm like, okay, well now you're allowed to say the word because it's from a movie. But like, I just mm-hmm. don't think it's cool. But like, I think like his lines have gotten funnier with time because mm-hmm. like one of his lines in Django and Chains is like, "Who the f is Smitty Bacall?" I think that's the funniest <laughs> thing ever, and yeah. he makes it funny. And I'm like, "See, and that's less edgy." I think it's so funny, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I think he develops more of a taste for it. Yeah, especially when he's doing movies that are like righteous in a way, like 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 Inglorious Bastards and Django and. Technically, I guess once upon a time, now like, or it's like doing justice for like a certain like because well the last podcast I listened to with him in it like he was talking about going to an all black school how he was the only white kid in his class mm-hmm. and like how like his mom uh, dated black guys and stuff and so like he like everyone in his life like he just didn't no like, no there was a difference until he went back to like an all white school in Tennessee and he's like people suck. Yeah. You know, and like, and so, but he, I don't want, like, I don't know if he thinks that he, that gave him permission or not to, like, do, you know, that. I or think what, to a but, point, I think he thought, it, yeah. like, I think he probably did, mm-hmm. just because that's the environment he grew up in. And, like, in a way, it's separately of everything else, I can mm-hmm. understand that. But it's like, I don't know, like, just to me as a viewer, I get, like, some people not... I can get some people being fine with it, mm-hmm. and I can get people cringing at it, and I think both should be allowed. I don't think it's cool when people write off the entire movie because of it. Exactly, Because it's like, yeah. come on, like, yeah. it's one scene. I think you can do that with any movie, is get rid of one scene in your head, because so many movies have problematic scenes. Mm-hmm. And I, I also don't think it's cool, though, when people are like, hey, I want to quote that scene. Like, I, come on, like, 
go quote the burger scene instead. Like, don't <laughs> don't quote me that scene. Like, because yeah. it just seems like you're trying to find a reason to be allowed to say it yeah. yourself. And I feel like that's what Taron and Dino was kind of doing. But I, that's the thing. I, it's only speculative. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to get too much into that because it's like I mean people also bring up like in all his movies he likes to show feet and it's like yeah because he obviously has a foot fetish he likes feet that's the end of it like I don't I don't because people will start bringing it up and they're like I think that makes him very interesting that he likes feet he's a foot fetish and it's like what's his obsession with feet it's like who cares he just likes feet like I don't Mm -hmm. know like that's to me that's the end of the story like he likes feet like people tend to do that when they like movies he's Mm -hmm. a lot more open with his ideas obviously that there's something about feet that he likes. I don't know what it is, but it's like, who cares? He shoots feet very well to me. I most <laughs> his, sh- his shots with feet in it are some of his best. And the story, the, sh- the, sh- the shot where they show like Uma Thurman walking in the first time, they like introduce her with her feet. Mm-hmm. And there's so much character in those feet. I'm, like, I'm just saying, like he knows how to shoot his feet. There's so much Uma in those feet. <laughs> that seriously, like it adds character to her. I'm like, oh look, she's gonna be a fun time, and she is. So I'm, he knows what he's doing. But it's like he obviously really shows off his tastes in these movies yeah. and his taste for language and what he knows yeah. language is. Well, like I said, that's that's the only part of the movie that like I remember feeling like the slightest little bit of. Uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movie, I have no uncomfortability with it. It's 100% awesome. I love it. Yeah. Also, you know what they say? Feed our windows to the soul. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I, I, I was going to oh, say, because I thought you were going to argue against the wolf scene, because that's actually my favorite scene in the movie. Because he turns a scenario that should be boring, that should be cut down to him showing up, and then everything's cleaned up and or maybe even like a montage as people mm-hmm. would do but he turns it into a scene by scene this is what we're gonna do we gotta do this we gotta do that and it turns it like yeah like you know if i was in a situation like this mm-hmm. you know it would be a little tough and you would need yeah. and it just it makes that character so compelling because you're like god I, I need a wolf in my life mm-hmm. like god he just he knew exactly what he was doing he made sure everything was caught i i feel like i when i plan things really really well down to like the littlest details I start picturing myself as the wolf doing it I'm just like mm-hmm. we gotta do this we gotta do that we gotta have you this, grab and coffee, do this. Yeah. And I need do coffee that. and it's like well please would be yeah. nice what'd you say yeah <laughs> I love that my, my favorite uh, part of that scene is Tarantino f- like cause he has like that that scene right when you first get introduced him with the cold cold or dead storage and then after that, he turns into, like, a different character. And he he's following cool. around Harvey Keitel and is, like, trying to, like, be, like... Cool around him? Yeah, like, he, he turns into, cool. like, Billy Zane around Biff or something, <laughs> you know? And, like, <laughs> this is what he reminded me of. Yeah, he's, like, trying to be, like... Because like, he's, he's like, kind of Like, scared. I'm with him, like, instead of you you two, you know? He tells off, um... He tells off, like, uh, Jules and Vince real quick that he doesn't want them... There, mm-hmm. and he's gonna ruin their, his marriage and everything. But when the wolf shows up, he's like almost scared to mention. He's like, "Oh, so the, those uh, that those blankets you're gonna use are actually a wedding gift that I got from." And he, and he just shuts him up real quick. He's mm-hmm. like, "He's like, I I know someone who's very rich, and they're gonna make you a very rich man." <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. I I also love that like he they, he doesn't even really know what to call them at first when uh he's like, "What do they look like right now?" He's like. Look like a couple of dorks. Like, like the simplest of language, but it's so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's just a good movie. I, we're only focusing on that one scene, but I feel yeah. like everyone has talked about everything that, that Yeah, that's the least talked about scene, probably. Yeah, was I was fiction. mentioned I didn't really like the pot belly scene, just because I always forget it. A lot of people there. don't. Well, because no one ever talks about it. Everyone always talks about the burgers. They talk about the Mm -hmm. gimp scene. They never talk about like this really long scene at the hotel Mm -hmm. with this lady's like, "I want a pot belly." (laughs) It's just like, is it that long though? It feels long. Everyone said it was long, and then I was watching. I'm like, this feels like one of the shorts. It's not. It's like way shorter than like them at the restaurant. But it just them at like the, the the pop culture restaurant. It's like way shorter than that scene. What do you guys like about the movie? What is your favorite uh, scene? Well, okay, so I felt like I knew about all the other scenes except the gimp scene. <laughs> so That was a surprise? That was very shocking. Surprise that you dug or surprise that you're like... I thought it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I love the Christopher Walken scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot yeah. about that scene. How do people don't quote scene. that more? <laughs> Five years to stay to my ass. <laughs> if I was like to yeah to like audition for something and I had to give like a, a monologue, I would so pick that monologue to do. <laughs> to not only do a Christopher Walken impression, but that scene is like so good. So he hit it in the only place he could do it: his ass. His Five ass. years stayed in his Five ass. Five years stayed in his ass. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, I, I, what I like about the gimp scene is the Tech. fact that just earlier they were both trying to kill each other, and with both of them with good reason because he, you know, Bruce Willis screwed over. Um, now I'm forgetting all their names. Butch screwed over Marcellus Wallace, and he, you know Marcellus Wallace wants to kill him, and Bruce Willis Butch is just trying to like not die. And then they get in this situation where they're, like, both getting, like, tortured, but the other guy way more so. But I kind of like this idea, because who was it that mentioned it, like, when Bruce Willis was walking away, that he was, like, stopping. Like, he wasn't just going to leave him in that situation. And they're like, why is he just stopping? And I'm like, because, like, come on, that is a horrible situation. And Tarantino does that a lot in these movies, where there's, like, there's, like, kind of villains on both sides, but there's a sense of, no, doing this is what makes you deserve to die and doing this is like you know this is just kind of an accident and this stuff is like no you should do something about it and I like in that scene that even though Marcellus Wallace is trying to kill him he doesn't think it's fair enough for Marcellus Wallace to be getting raped down there mm-hmm. like he's like nah that's not cool yeah out of like a lesser two evils he figured Marcellus Wallace was the lesser of two evils and I think people and people say I've I've read online where they're like oh cause he knew that Marcellus Wallace would forgive him I'm like we don't know that like and I don't feel like he would know that cause Marcellus Wallace seems like a pretty like stubborn and like scary dude like I feel like even if you were to save his life he would still kill you if he felt it was necessary so I don't think Bruce Willis automatically knew he was going to be out of it. But I think he thought that situation, he, like, really doesn't deserve that. I think, like, there's a part of Butch that felt like, you know, he had a good reason to come after me. <laughs> and uh, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should go do something about that. Because um, it's, like, earlier, too, like, Vincent was supposed to be, like, kind of a good guy. I, well, I guess he was someone we were rooting for because we are introduced to him. But mm-hmm. he's just kind of a dummy he seems like kind of like a big idiot at times. And his accent changes at some point. He has no accent. At some point, he has a Tennessee accent. <laughs> but like one of the things he does though is like 
accidentally shoots Marvin in the face, and it's like, well, he, Marvin probably didn't deserve that at all. He didn't really do anything wrong, and he just accidentally shot him. And you're like, I don't know, it kind of makes me feel less bad for him dying later, because it's like, Butch only kills him to protect himself. Vincent was only doing it because it was part of his job. But I'm like, I don't know, I kind of don't feel bad that he died, because he totally killed Marvin for pretty much no reason. Like, he did on accident, but it was like, Marvin didn't do anything wrong. He's a nice guy. I don't know. <laughs> feel bad for him. That's that's Tarantino's movies right there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about... We could talk about, like, uh, the ratings and everything, because I, I do give it... Uh, four and a half. Number yeah, three I'd say on four and a half, probably. I, I give it straight up five stars. Oh, I gave it four. Um... Number three on my list. What do you guys... Oh, yeah, I suppose. It was six out of nine yeah. on mine. Mine was four and a half. Uh, Number three. Five for me. Number five. Um, what do you guys think is in the briefcase? Oh. <laughs> butt plug. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that recent interview. <laughs> <laughs> the world's smallest butt plug. Wait, it's not even what, a big one. <laughs> what was your... What did you hear? Oh, I was... That, that interview... With him, he talked about it. He was like, "You're not supposed to know." Yeah, I mean, but like, I guess if you're what do you think it, like, it's fun. Uh, it's fun at least. Yeah, kind of speculate. Well, there is in their interviews. He mentioned uh, Elvis's gold suit or whatever. Hmm. He, he thought that one was good. I don't know. I never. I didn't even think about it. Really, I think it's so cool that he did something like that. Where it's like it's so like beyond us, and everyone's so amazed by it that you know we'll never know what it is and. I, I for years I did kind of like the theory that it was Marcellus Wallace's soul. That soul. There was this theory that it's his soul because the soul was sucked out of him, and that's why he's got the the bandaid on the back of his neck. He oh. actually has it in a suitcase and it's protected. And he did like a deal with the devil, and that's why it says six 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 on the case. And then they also mention that scene where they shoot that other guy. That there's just sudden flashes of like gold, and they say that's. That's his soul escaping his body. So, oh, like, like, I've that. heard that theory, but, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think there is kind of, like, a weird spiritual nature to the movie that is just left open to speculate, and I really like that. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, it's just a MacGuffin, but I like that whole idea of speculation. Because, also, um, earlier in the movie, um, well, not even early. It's, I guess it's later in the movie, but it's both. Um, when they're at the apartment, that guy comes out and shoots them. I truly believe that those bullet holes, because some people say, well, they were there before. I'm like, I don't know. If you watch it, it doesn't look like they are there before. It looks like they got there after. And it totally seems like they should have died, and they didn't. They, what happened? Why did the bullets not hit them? And I really like that whole like, spiritual nature to mm-hmm. it. Because that like begins his whole, like, I'm going to be done with this business. I'm just going to go off on my own now. Like Kane and mm-hmm. Kung Fu. And I'm like, I think that's like such a cool scene. Because I'm like, people do that all the time where they have these spiritual awakenings. Or mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I, I think it's so cool. I want to think that it's just like a light bulb. And it's like just gold lined. <laughs> like from BBS. <laughs> or it's like the green. He opens up, you think it's kryptonite, and it's just like a battery. It's just, it's just yeah. a battery. <laughs> yeah. What's um, your theory? So this one I heard in the podcast, and I looked it up, and it blew my mind. Um, and I totally think it is the um, basically it's it's either the origin or the heart and soul of rock and roll. Okay, have you guys heard this theory yet? Mm-mm. It's crazy. Okay, um, this theory this is the guy who said it. The briefcase is rock and roll. Marcellus represents the origin 
of rock music in America, blues, Motown, soul. Jules is Chuck Berry, and Vincent is Elvis. They go to get the briefcase back from the nerdy white guys trying to steal it. Maybe they represent greedy record producers that profited off of black music and screwed many black musicians. The reason the guy that unloads a gun at them is unable to hit them is because legends of music can never die and will be around forever. Jules realizes this and realizes that he's fighting a pointless fight. Pumpkin and Honey Bunny happen to be British, and they also try to take the briefcase. They represent the British invasion. The British invasion was completely <laughs> influenced by the blues and older pop music. Jules lets them leave with the money, but keeps his bad mofo wallet. Uh, they can steal and be influenced by the older music, but they can't take a legend style. They have to come up with their own style. Jules even mentions that he's trying to real hard to be the shepherd. Butch is introduced as a boxer being told by Marcellus to throw a fight. Butch represents new and interesting rock music that continues to come out and Marcellus doesn't like this. Butch doesn't throw the fight and runs away. They both get captured by rednecks while a country song is playing. <laughs> the rapists represent country music. <laughs> country music also stole a lot from the blues and other black music. This is shown by them raping Marcellus. Butch has a chance to escape but decides to go back and save him out of respect. Marcellus agrees to let Butch live, and they truce and go separate ways. Marcellus accepts that, that there will always be new music, and there's nothing he can do to stop it. The watch represents that as time moves on, more more new music will continue to be made, and they will all be influenced by what came before them. And Vincent dies on the toilet like Elvis. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Jesus. Wait, what about Uma Thurman? She's just there. Too. I guess I don't know. Didn't mention it. Who's Huma Thurman? Who's Harvey Keitel? I mean, but I still, like, there's a lot of that where I'm like, you, you almost cool. gotta wonder if he, like, started there, because he loves music so much. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I mean, country music does rape everyone's ears. I so. do have a different yeah. image in my head now that I'm thinking about Old Town Road. I might go. That's what's yeah. going on. Yikes. Stop it. That's the, that's, the, that's the gimp. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was a good theory. The I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's See, that's, cool. that's fun. I mean, because that's that's a lot better than like the whole mm-hmm. like, I like that. typically what people say with like Star Wars, like oh that represents like war in real mm-hmm. life. Like, but like I yeah. like because he opens a briefcase and shows it to Tim Roth, and he and he's like, "Is that what I think it is?" And he's like, "You bet it is." <laughs> I think it's so cool though because like that's a completely different thing. Like it doesn't relate to like politics or anything. It's about like like a legit like culture, and a lot of that's like true and it like. They all kind of work, and I'm like, that's weird. That's a weird way to look at it, but it don't. It does work. Um, fun. We should move on to uh, Jackie Brown then. Um, yeah, no, you don't like Jackie Brown. It's it's my la- it's the last one on my list. Yeah, I'll I'll just say it because I feel like I probably like it the most. Hadn't seen it in a long time, and like rewatching it the other day with you guys, I was like, holy crap, this movie's really, 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 really good. And it makes me sad because Tarantino, I mean, he's such a good director, he could have had an entire career where he just adapts novels, and then mm-hmm. he would make so many good movies. But it's like, I, I mean, I'm glad that we got the movies we did, but I'm like, God, he could have been adapting novels. Like, could we have two Tarantinos right now mm-hmm. and have one who adapted novels and the other one who did this? He adapted the novel Rum Punch, which I, I'm actually trying to read right now. I haven't finished it yet. And it's very much straight adaptation a lot of the lines are carried right from mm-hmm. the book even there's not too many changes made by Tarantino surprisingly and the movie is once again just a very straightforward story it's probably the only one he's done that doesn't really tell anything out of chronological order to the point where there's not even really f- flashbacks that I can remember which rare for him 
he tells almost everything out in order or with flashbacks or with um, at least some kind of um, adjacent story going on. This one mm-hmm. is very straightforward. And I really, really dig it. I don't... And even, like, I feel like the only thing I, I feel like people maybe wouldn't like about it is, like, the ending. Because it's anticlimactic. But even that, I still really dig. Because, like, I... Every time I see it, I'm just like, man, you, we have no idea what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, anything could happen. And yeah, like, it's... I guess it just kind of ends real quick. It feels... It's like, it's like there's, like, a fourth act, really. Yeah. It, it's like... Because the, the third act is, like, them doing the heist, but then, like... It's like after the heist, if it's even considered a heist, after the whole mall scene, mm-hmm. there's like this this like low point of the, not low point movie, but like it's the beginning of like a fourth act. So low, yeah. So so come on, why don't you like it? It's about. I mean, I don't hate it. It's just no, you hate it. You said it. I gave it three stars. <laughs> it means you hate it. It's, you were nicer than I was. <laughs> Why don't you like well, what's wrong with it? Oh, I just it, thought like it was shot really well, it looked really good, but it was so boring. There were there were some high parts, but there was a lot of just slow, real slow parts that just took me out and then It was I, like all exposition. Like I don't know. I it does have more exposition dialogue than any of his other movies. I'll give you that. But I don't know if it was all exposition. I mean, we have an entire scene where he's just watching a gun commercial and explaining said gun commercial. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's... I give it four stars. I I really like it a lot. It's, it's on the bottom of my Tarantino list. Um, but that's because all his movies are incredible. And uh, I, I like it a lot. I, I like movies with a lot of exposition that, you know, and, like, I like his stuff that's, like, action-driven, but I also just... I don't know. It's good. Like I feel like it would be a boring book. Maybe is it boring? I my only issue getting into it was I couldn't get behind the dialogue for a second. But once I started honestly reading it, how like the Tarantino yeah. movie is, I got more into it. But that's those Elmer Leonard books are what influenced his dialogue a lot. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just me being used to other vernacular or what. Mm-hmm. Not, but like he really read those books and you could see how he got a lot of influence from them for his like future dialogue yeah um so i mean it took a while to get into it but once the book gets going i'm like okay i know i like this and i can see the uniqueness of mm-hmm. the storytelling and how he was influenced by it yeah um i don't know if i would have read them without tarantino though um, yeah it's a weird step to go from pulp fiction to this it's really strange mm-hmm. um it's probably why people mostly didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Not that people didn't see it. People did, and it got good reviews. But it's like, people always forget to mention it. And I think really the only issue is it came out right after Pulp Fiction. And it was such a different movie. Mm-hmm. And it lacked a lot of what Pulp Fiction had. But it's like it's like a different movie, though. I'm like, this is just a straight-up, typical like novel adaptation that you would see by mm-hmm. any other director, but Tarantino is really good at still putting it together. Yeah. And that's what I mean. He could have had a whole career just doing this, and I would have still really respected him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would be as noteworthy. Yeah. It reminded me of, like, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia. Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, the least no- Christopher Nolan movie that he has. 
but still really good and has his thumbprint all over it. That's what this is for me. Mm-hmm. It's like the weirdest out there, but still like it's clearly Quentin Tarantino, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Also, Christopher Nolan's third movie. And this oh. is Tarantino's third movie. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just what happens. Once that was his third the, movie? That was. I mean, yeah, because he did Following and Memento. And then oh, yeah. That's, I haven't seen the following. It's technically Tarantino's third movie. So that means Jordan movie. Peele's third movie's going to suck. Probably. Or people won't. Maybe it'll be really good. And people won't But some people won't appreciate it. It'll be an adaptation. Who's well, sorry for not loving Jackie Brown. Let's move it's on. Right. It's understandable. It's at the bottom of my Tarantino list. So I, I like it for the performances, and I like that Robert Forrester's, Forrester's character is awesome. And, and yeah. he's like to me, Chris like, Rock, the best. Like I didn't really kick for uh, Rob De Niro's character. Chris Rock. Isn't Chris Rock in it? Chris for, Tucker. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. <laughs> Chris Rock. <laughs> you mix up your Chris is understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris Tucker. It's weird seeing Chris Tucker in it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Just for how many comedies he would do afterwards. You're like, yeah, there's just, hey, hey Chris Tucker. Like, I feel like he was casted because he was on Friday. And I'm like, even that's like, it's weird. Yeah, but what's that movie that, that just came out? Sex Tuplets? Yeah. On, With Marlon Wayans? Yeah. Isn't Marlon Wayans in freaking... Uh, Requiem for a Dream? He, I, I, one of the Wayans is. <laughs> yeah. Is he? Yeah. I think it's him in it. I mean, I don't know. That does... I mean, Tar- it's not like Tarantino so hasn't dark, ever done that. He put Chan Tatum movie. in a movie. Yeah. He put Jonah Hill in one of his movies. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was a funny part, though. I guess... I guess. I mean, Jackie Brown, I guess, in a way, does... He was going to have Adam Sandler be the, the, the Jew... The bear Jew. Yeah. Was he? Oh, originally, was, he was what, gunning what, for Adam Sandler because he's Jewish. <laughs> and then uh, it either didn't work out or what, or, or Eli Roth. He it was actually it was, it was scheduling problems because he was doing funny people. Actually, he's doing the ridiculous six or something. My Adam Sandler. He was doing Jack and Jill. <laughs> I gave Jackie Brown five out of five stars. Jeez, I, I don't I doubt it. Love it. I, I don't if I it. if it, if I were in the year 1997 <laughs> and I saw a bunch of movies, it would be a five star movie for me, Jack and, and it would be. One of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jack and Jill as well. Same thing, basically. No, like, if this would have been 1997, it would have been one of my favorite yeah. movies. If not, if I look at movies from 97, I should see, because it probably Titanic. is up there. Mm-hmm. Hell no. I, I like Titanic, but hell no. Jackie Brown's much better. Um, to me, anyway. Well, Titanic is technically cool, but... That's a different podcast. <laughs> you're, you're hopping. We can move on. Everyone else kind of put Jackie Brown gotcha, more bitch. lower. Um, but I, I get it. I don't know. Jackie Brown really surprised me. I recommend you two wait another five years like I did. Watch it again and you'll see. It's amazing. Oh, oh, wait another five years. 2024. Uh, let's move on, though. That was Marlon Wayans in Requiem for a Dream. We can move on, then, to... Uh, the Kill Bill Saga, Woo-hoo! which um, considered one movie, edited, I believe, as one movie, but then released as two because it was too long. And the only, the, only ones I the only ones I didn't rewatch for this podcast. Yeah, I didn't rewatch them either. But I, I wanted to enough time. I, I've I've seen at least the first one a lot, and mm-hmm. um, I've seen them a couple times. So great movies. Um, and probably his first movie where he really it doesn't seem like it's set in the real world it just goes really out there and crazy and he's even said himself he's like these are the movies that the characters in my movies would be watching and Kill Bill is like one of them Mm -hmm. and 
I don't know. Just this is a movie that I. It's kind of crazy that all these ideas came from like one person. I know a lot of it's influenced by so many different things, but mm-hmm. like the whole idea of having like this female lead um, going down this track of killing a bunch of people that like did her wrong, and that there's all this history to it. So much history and um, um, to the to the story anyway, backstory anyway that you learn throughout it. Um, it because. It, it really, I mean, I, I don't know, I feel like I say this for a lot of movies, but I mean, it feels like the the final episode of a great, like, long-running TV show, and you oh, get yeah. to this final episode, and it's well, just, like, all crazy. And Pulp Fiction kind of is. The TV show they're talking about? Yeah. yeah, and it seems like she's alluring to that. People have made that connection that the TV show she's talking about is this movie, but, then, I mean, I guess if we were to say it, that TV show were made, this would be, like, the finale, and it's such an awesome finale. Mm-hmm. And well, it's... like, when she was describing the TV show, she described basically, like, the, um, the whole game. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I, obviously, like, Tarantino had some of these ideas already, so I, you kind of got to wonder. And they actually were planning this while they were doing Pulp Fiction, but, uh, yeah, what do you all think of Kill Bill, then? Love it. Well, are we talking just the first one, or... Both of them. I guess we could discuss real quick if you think of it as one movie or two. Movie. See, I consider it one movie because Tarantino intended it to be one movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like since that's his intent, it should be discussed as one full movie. But there's an issue because the whole bloody affair is supposed to have added scenes. Like the cartoon scene is supposed to be extended. There's supposed to be like a ton of extra stuff added. So that makes it a little bit difficult. I still consider it one movie, though. And has the whole bloody affair, from what I understood, has never really been released? And It has only been shown at film festivals. It's never been released on DVD. As soon as it's on DVD, I'm going to Yeah, I would it. watch it if it was edited that way. And honestly, there's a lot of stuff in part two that I would rather see mm-hmm. edited more linear. Because I do have my issues with two. Like, part two. And that's why I kind of like considering them two movies, because part one's still so good on its own. And you kind of need part two to appreciate where it's going, because mm-hmm. it does end sort of open-ended. But part two does feel a lot slower to me. It seems like there's a lot more talking scenes, and they don't have as many great action scenes in it, and it, to me, isn't as enjoyable. I think... I look at my list, I, I believe I actually put... Yeah, I put Kill Bill Volume 2 at the bottom of my list. Because that's the one that I don't like watching the most. Hmm. But I feel like if it was all edited together in one movie, and take some of the scenes from Part 2 and throw them in and disperse them more into Volume 1 and make it more of a linear movie, or however he wants to edit it, I'm sure it could be great, in one long movie, I feel like I'd enjoy it more. But I, to me, I don't consider it one movie because I know he intended it that way, but... I mean, I don't know, there's issues with that, because, like, Hateful Eight is supposed to be a movie, but then there's a Netflix miniseries version of it. I'm like, okay, so how oh, is Hateful he... Eight? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. like, where it's released in several parts. Yeah, so there's that's five the only different way I've seen hour it. sections. Or four different hour sections. It's the only way I've seen it. And it's, like... Wait, they extended it? Yeah. But it's not a miniseries. Yeah, but they edit it like a miniseries on their words. Oh, episodes. there's like five episodes-ish? Yeah, yeah. Four episodes. I think four episodes. They're, like, 30 minutes each or something? Fifteen hour each. I think he talked about doing Django Unchained wow. a certain way like that, too. Um, and, I don't know, to me, I'm just like... I it's To me, I'm like, there's already like an iffy part of the argument there because he's released things 
differently like that. And here, he released this two movies. I get that it's supposed to be one, but there's two movies, both with um, separate credits and opening sequence. Like, to me, I just like, I don't know. it, And I just like volume one much better. I feel like he chops them up like that, though, for, like, viewer convenience. Because watching a giant four-hour movie like The Whole Bloody Affair or, like, Hateful Eight Extended would just be really tedious and mm. not a lot of people would actually do it. Yeah. Like, I definitely would. I get why he did it, because he had to do it, basically. They weren't going to let him release, like... Because Hateful Eight, three hours long, and I think the extended cut was, like, three and a half, 15 minutes long. It was four episodes, 55 minutes each. So it would be about four hours total. And I think that's how he did it for the Roadshow cut, because I think Mm -hmm. that's basically what it's chopped into on there. But Kill Bill would hit about probably almost five hours. Oh, yeah. It'd be really long. So I can get why it wasn't released as one movie. I mean, the wine scenes weren't going to allow that for box office numbers, so he just split it into two. But like, but what I mean is, like, volume one's like too good for me to consider it on like one movie because I just feel like part two is such a weird, like, like drop. I don't know. Well, here's my thing. Okay, I, I feel like he was doing a total both and situation. Okay, I have a theory. Okay, I think. In my mind, he's clearly doing a Kill Bill Volume 3, but he likes to be Quentin Tarantino, so he's like, never gonna tell a single person until the day that he drops it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, too. <laughs> and so he's like, I think he likes, he loves the idea of Kill Bill 1 and 2 being a movie, but clearly separate movies. Like, for me, the first one is it's a samurai movie, it's a tribute, giant, giant ass tribute to samurai movies. Kibble Volume 2, I'll say, Volume 1 is the tribute to Samurai movies. Kibble Volume 2, for me, was his first tribute to Western movies. Yes. Because it is 100% paced and styled like that, even though it's still got katanas and stuff. It's way more the way that it paints its big bad, you know, it's driven way more like a Western. So it's, if he was to do Kibble Volume 3, who knows what this one could be like Space if it's gonna be a, yeah that'll be Star Trek it'll be freaking <laughs> Kill the Volume 3 Star Trek well I feel like if he does do a Volume 3 he'll go the obvious route and have um what's her name the mom Copper her daughter yeah, yeah her daughter will come back and kill yeah. Beatrix yeah that's that's the way I mean I'm just gonna say that's what's gonna happen I I assume um, because especially since if mm -hmm. they're actually ever gonna do it they've waited long enough now Mm -hmm. where she would be like older so it could actually like in real time even make sense you have Uma Thurman's daughter in it now yeah Mm -hmm. that'd be kinda neat Um, it'll never happen because he's only doing 10 movies and the 10th movie is Star Trek so I also think he's full of it about the 10 movies (laughs) like I don't care how many times he says it like Mm -hmm. if you love it enough I bet he would still come back and I think that'll be just like guest directing thing too I don't think he'll be coming back for many more like I think he will keep it at like 10 but I doubt I feel like he'd do like one more than that because I I feel like he's just full of it the Star Trek thing I would see him like bringing Robert Rodriguez up into it, you know, and doing yeah, something. Yeah, he won't direct it himself. Um, Danny Trejo as Spock. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like they're doing Alita, that. whatever. Uh, Battle Angel. Battle Angel. Star it's like, he, he's, like he's letting someone else completely Spike different, is. right? The uh, Django slash Zorro movie. Mm-hmm. 
like which he's like I want it to happen but he's having like someone else write Django it Django and make, Zorro movie yeah where they like meet up and work together I love that yeah right I would totally watch that um are they in the same time period <laughs> roughly like yeah. they can make it work yeah I mean Zorro's kind of like a western superhero uh, I I like the ending of Kill Bill Volume Two a lot too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's another climax where it's like I don't think it's what people would expect yeah. from a giant. From I mean, especially what Part One gives, but I really like where it goes, and I think it's still really epic. It was for me the most epic ending of any Tarantino movie is Kill Bill Volume Two. I got chills mm-hmm. at the end of Kill Bill Volume Two. Mm-hmm. I was watching it like on a laptop too, which wasn't ideal, but I was like. Oh, wow, this movie is yeah. nuts. Just because it ended, it was a good, good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I think of it, I think of them as two movies in one sense. I think of them as one another. So, like, I think of them as two movies when I think about like Star Wars, you know. But when I think about uh, as more just because of stylistically speaking. But when I think about them on the Tarantino list, I can't separate them. They have to be together on my Tarantino list. So that's kind of... I'm like a both end with them. Is it one movie or two movies? Especially if they come out with volume three. It would have to be one, two, three. You know? Yeah. But... But then, like, what if he did release the whole bloody affair? Would that be, like, a separate thing then? So would there be four Kill Bill movies? Or would there just be the three or two? Maybe he would... It would be, like... Months after it was released, mm-hmm. he might just do like a most bloody affair or something. Cool. Um, See, I be, but it would be like three. It would be at least two Blu-rays probably to have that much. Do you think they could fit all on one Blu-ray? No. Yeah, it'd be a couple. So you still have to be putting in separate stuff, you know? Yeah. But well, I mean, I'm sure he still has cuts from when he filmed. Kill Bill as one because he said it was only two movies in post mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. it was written filmed and like all that stuff as one mm-hmm. so like I feel like he could do that but I don't think he could throw the third one on there because mm-hmm. that one wasn't written or filmed or anything yeah. at the same time yeah like you said like if he or was it? wrote it filmed it and did it you know and then just released them a year apart mm-hmm. like the amount of thought he put into Pulp Fiction like if the rock and roll theory was true. That's crazy. The whole of the toilet scenes, like we were talking about how, like, he... Like, Vincent misses everything every time he's on the toilet. He comes out of the bathroom and something crazy just went down. Mm-hmm. And, like... You know, there's so much thought that went into that single movie. The amount of thought that he must have put into these movies... Oh, yeah. Like, as much as, like, Pulp Fiction was, like, kind of his first baby project. Now, this is, like his mega baby project because he has all of his samurai movies and western movies influences in it he went on to do another I'd say three more westerns because I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is clearly a western movie to me um like it shows so much of his fandom in Kill Bill 1 and 2 but they're so different stylistic movies that he it's one movie to him but it's also two movies to him I think it's a both end um, I think I gave I think I give Kill Bill five stars also, and it's but it's listed fifth on my list. But it's like at this, I mean, it's still five stars. I mean, it's, at this point, we're getting so tough with everything, and and I give Kill Bill Volume Two. Um, I give it. It doesn't have a star rating because I haven't seen it in a while. 
Because <laughs> like, some of the movies on here don't have a star rating because I just I haven't mm-hmm. seen them. I I honestly I feel like I have to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe I'll change my mind and I'll be. You know, we should still even though we did the episode, we should still get together and watch. I would love together. to watch them. I am always, but we gotta watch them both. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to do it where we could do it, start it up as quick as possible, just to like, mm-hmm. with Absolutely. quickest turn. Everybody, close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like I wouldn't even not even watch the credits part one. Just Less go than right into it, it. Like, so then, just yeah. to see what it's okay. like. We can, we can but um, yeah, no, that's five and then four and a half. I mean, they are both. technically five, but both four. <laughs> and um, what are those? Those are far too low on your list, sir. <laughs> Seven and eight. <laughs> oh, sir. oh my gosh, sir. So for rating these, I had to dip into the Chloe scale. These are like eight hundred thousand <laughs> out of five, and they're obviously the top of my list. I think three and four is technically if they're one movie's third. The entertainment scale is way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, next, yeah, we go to the 2007 uh, part two of the Grindhouse double feature. Still haven't seen the first one. Which is uh, Grindhouse Planet Terror slash Death Proof. Um, so I saw it originally as Grindhouse, where I saw basically everything is one long running movie with the trailers everything like that I still consider them two movies but I feel like that experience is what they were trying to aim for because they're going for that old drive-in mm-hmm. double feature thing but uh, I thought it was awesome to do it that way like the experiment especially since I didn't think it would make any money and and it didn't it didn't really do that well and I don't think they were trying to make critically praised movies this time around mm-hmm. Which Tarantino himself is really good at doing, and this time it was like he's even acknowledged he's like it's probably my worst movie, and I mean to a point, I agree, but we'll but we'll get into that. But I liked it as Grindhouse just for the experience, but I will say watching Planet Terror first and then going into Death Proof is like not a good thing to do because mm-hmm. Planet Terror is like so crazy and awesome and fun and you enjoy the hell out of it and you're like well Robert Rodriguez knew exactly what he was doing with this movie it is crazy and so memorable and mm-hmm. I would honestly watch that over Death Proof any oh, yeah. day yeah. and then you get to Death Proof and you're like wow this is just not the same and it's still doing everything that you from those kind of movies you Tarantino knows exactly what he's doing for his own you mm-hmm. know aim but it's just not as good but as a movie itself because we only watched that one we didn't watch it at Grindhouse mm-hmm. I thought it was still pr- I still really like it mm-hmm. and it's definitely better than any of those movies because I mean that box set down there has every kind of those movies that he was being influenced by and I can promise you this movie is better than those ones but mm-hmm. What do you all think of? Um, I just want to watch those movies that are in tra- like the fake trailers. I want to see Don't so bad. Don't, yeah. don't, 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 don't. Think don't. about going in that room. Don't. I would see them all. Thanksgiving looks hilarious. Oh, <laughs> uh, werewolf Nazis, or was that the Jackie Brown? No, no, werewolf Nazis was part of that. Yeah. They, um, I, I, I think Rob Zombie's even talked about making that. I think you said that last time. SS women of the werewolf zombies of the. Or Nazi women of the SS. I think that's what it was. Or something. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of werewolves. Only if they bring only if they bring back uh, 
Nicholas Cage's Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> so as Fu Manchu, that's sad. I'm like, that's the only time we yeah. will probably get Nick Cage. That's the closest we'll get to Nick Cage mm. in a Tarantino movie. He's right I, there. I love Planet Terror, but to me, like, I kind of I I think about like if I was to swap one of those movies out for a different movie to make the Grindhouse experience better. Man, <laughs> I was thinking like just from dusk till dawn, even as crazy as that movie is. That one would almost be a better fit right before Death Proof. Like a different Rodriguez movie. To intro Grand House, but... Yeah, we're just talking about Death Proof. I love Death Proof. That was really good. Uh, it was alright. I liked it more than I thought I would. I didn't really get it. You guys like it more than Jackie Brown, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's right over Jackie Brown. Same. Still three stars, though. I think I also gave it three stars. Yeah. I like Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I gave it... Um, I gave it three and a half out of five. And it's kind of down there on my list. It's number eight. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I... If you've seen movies like that, you totally get what he's, like, doing. And there's even parts of it where I can kind of see, like, this story within the movie of how it was made. Because so many movies from that era, the drive-ins and the grindhouse era and cheaply made movies, a lot of times they would make a movie, they would film it, and then they would, like, run out of money and they'd wait a couple of years and they'd hold on to the footage and then a couple of years later they'd start making a different movie or someone would buy the footage and they would just add stuff to make the movie longer. There are so many movies in that box that you can watch are exactly like this. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've seen a lot of crap like that. And in this movie it almost seems like that happens where... Tarantino, like, I'm saying, like, as a character mm-hmm. of this of this movie's history, yeah, made a movie, made it about Kurt Russell murdering women with a car, and then just kept it at that, but then he didn't have, like, enough footage for a movie, and he just sat on it when he ran out of money, and then, like, years later, he also became a better director, and he also finished this movie, made it longer, and added this second scene where it's, like, the same movie... But then Kurt Russell dies because even the quality of the footage is better in the second half. Yeah, it's like it's like he ran out of money after filming the first half, and then like he spent ten years raising money to do the, the second, second half. half. And so like, maybe <laughs> you think he did it on purpose, or you think that's I think the Tarantino. Story. Okay, there's like there's there's two. I, think he I knew what he was doing. I think Tarantino knew what he was doing when he made it, and he made it like that on purpose because yeah. there's so many movies that look exactly like that, mm-hmm. where it's like there's a there's like a sudden like increasing stock quality because it's like 20 years later and you can tell but I think he might have also did it because he just maybe wanted to use a better quality camera and film for that big car chase at the end which is the highlight of the movie it is so cool to see something like that in a modern day blockbuster that's a real car chase with real stunts like the shoes actually on the car they literally just cast the stunt woman uh, Zoe Bell as herself literally like she's playing herself in the movie just so she could do all those scenes. So, really awesome. And I think he knew what he was doing. And it kind of just adds to it. Where you're like, if you've seen those movies, you're like, wow, this really does a good job paying tribute. And even, like, the first half, you can tell, like, this director is a bit of a shoddy director. Because, like, the whole sequence of shots in that car are so crazy. And, like, some of the angles, you're like, what's the point of doing this angle compared to this angle? Why is he cutting between this? And he's breaking the 360 rule constantly oh, and where like the 
camera would be able to see. Why am I saying three? It's the one eighty rule, but you know, <laughs> film school right here. Um, no, like yeah, you can't cross over that imaginary one eighty barrier. Otherwise, it messes with the audience's perception Explain it a little bit. So it's basically um, imagine you know there's a line, and then there's like the there's a circle right here. So on this line, there's the 180 right there. Mm-hmm. They say that when you're shooting people who are like having a conversation, like you and me right here around this table, they say the camera can only stay on this side. So when you're talking, the camera will be over here, really close to me. And then when the camera goes over to you, it'll be really close to you. But it can never cross over this line down the middle, this 180. Like, so it has 180 okay. perception of angles, but it can't so like, cross over here. So like it can't have it filming you... Over here, but me film just film over here, me, and then film you over here. Mm-hmm. Because if you do cut a movie like that, it does look weird. There is yeah. something really off about it. There are many instances where they break this rule, and you can usually tell, and it's usually for a really good purpose, or sometimes the director doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You, I've seen a lot in like YouTube videos, and I'm just like, whoa! It's it does kind of it's it doesn't bother me too much, but you can like tell. And I think that's, like, the point. Like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be able to tell. Because I think also the whole point is, like, well, if you're doing this, you are imagining that, like, the camera's over there, but then it's not suddenly there or something like that. And hmm. it's just a rule that people use. I mean, to me, filmmaking rules are stupid. But that's one of them where I'm, like, you can tell to a certain point if you see it. I can... Because it, if it's only here... Because it's, like, when you're in a conversation, if you're standing in a group of people, and you're, you have two people who are, like, dominating the conversation... But you, and you're there, you only have the perspective. You, you still feel like you're somewhat in the conversation if you're just standing there. Mm-hmm. But if you're moving to the other side of them constantly... It feels weird. It feels like you're no longer in the conversation, but you are 100% just observing it. Mm-hmm. So in a movie, I can see why you'd feel like you're in the conversation with them. But if you're moving around different angles, you're more aware of of the conversation being just a long Quentin Tarantino type of conversation (laughs) you know I think it's all about just not breaking the audience's perception and so many people follow that rule and with good reason because like I said Mm -hmm. if you you see stuff cut that way yeah it looks weird but I wouldn't have known to look for it until now I didn't know that rule he definitely didn't ever break it until like that movie and then he started going real crazy with that and I'm I'm just laughing because the shots are so short and Mm -hmm. but if you watch a lot of movies from that era you're like from the Grindhouse era, cheap movies on the drive-in theater, it's like, wow, they all were just like... Because the director mm-hmm. clearly didn't have like the best idea of editing. But sometimes I think it makes it more interesting because that scene in that car ends up becoming interesting because of it. Because you're just like, what is going mm-hmm. on? And it becomes like great. So I don't know. To a point, I think it's it makes sense. I don't think this is his worst movie. Um... And I mean, it's kind of hard to even say like worst because like I I still really enjoy this movie and I mm-hmm. think he still did a lot of great things in it. I think he really wanted to make the movie just do the, the car chase, but like it's a great car chase mm-hmm. and the whole movie it's really to me his only straight up horror movie mm-hmm. where it's like an actual horror villain who at the end gets taken down. And I always appreciate that in horror. I don't I don't mm-hmm. I, I I like seeing the bad guy get taken down. It's yeah. awesome in this movie when he does. He's, like, crying and everything. And Kurt Russell, just great in the movie. Mm-hmm. Better than he has to be. And still, he's given 110% performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, all that. I mean, yeah, it still has its... It's kind of hard to say there's issues, because I feel like they're on purpose. So, <laughs> you know. Um, 
I think he accomplished what he he was supposed to do with his movie, and Robert Rodriguez did with his movie as well. But I just think like it's kind of hard watching them back to back because Planet Terror is so like mm-hmm. crazy popcorn and fun, enjoyable. Yeah, and this one is a little different and it's a little slower and I feel like people would be like wow this one doesn't have the same impact as that last one Mm -hmm. but separately I'm like damn enjoyable movie yeah Mm -hmm. so you want to move on then or do we give ratings I said three and a half out of five I did three out of five and it was number eight on my list three out of five it's number nine I gave it four stars. It's number eight on my list. Nice. You gave it the highest rating. I don't have a single one of those movies below four. <laughs> They're all four or higher. Well, let's move on to his worst movie, um, Inglorious <laughs> <laughs> Bastards. Um, he, he, well, he even said he's like, I think this might be Interstellar Bastards. <laughs> I love this movie. What do y'all think of it? It's my favorite Tarantino movie. <laughs> I like it. I've been like hearing about it for a long time. Like he would talk about it all the time. You guys would talk about it, and I think my grandpa's seen it, and he would talk about it too. And like I just never got around to it. Killing Nancy. But like when I did watch it, it was so good. Did you ever finish it? Yeah. Okay. I think it's crazy that he was able to create a story like this. Like this really is to me one of those once-in-a-lifetime stories. Like, how did you even come up with this? Mm-hmm. Because it's so good. You somehow made, like... it's. I mean, it's kind of, in a way, three running storylines, but basically there's two running plots to kill Hitler that both combine at, like, the same time, but mm-hmm. none of these characters ever interact with one another. And it's like... And also changes histories. It, like, changes the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it starts out as Once Upon a Time, just like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's yeah. fake. It's really right mystery. Yeah. Well, its main character is arguably the best actor ever. Right. Oh, my God. Mike Myers. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Mike Myers in the movie, actually, like, if, if you weren't looking out for Mike Myers, you probably... There's a chance. It was, like, my third time, and I'm like, holy hell, <laughs> that Shrek. <laughs> and it actually oh, yeah, makes pointed sense. it out. You didn't know that Mike Myers was I in it? I pointed him out. I Mike Myers like, oh, played, like, every Michael character. Fassbender and there's Mike Myers. He played, like, half of the Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> they called them joking. the Bastards. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I, I think he played awesome. Christoph Waltz in, like, four scenes. <laughs> this was, like, the beginning of Tarantino being like, you know, I'm going to start hiring some real notable actors just to see if people could catch up. Oh, yeah, Legendary yeah, folk yeah. hero Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so weird to go back. Ah, horseshit! Just hear that in the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck a duck. <laughs> That's my favorite. So line. hot. <laughs> Want to touch the hind? Now we're just calling that sound. Yeah. I. I, uh, you're right though. Like he does have like one of the greatest like villains ever. In that he's got like Hitler, <laughs> the greatest, <laughs> greatest villain. Hans, legendary Honda. folk villain, Hitler. <laughs> it's just like I can't believe he's as good as he is, you know. And he does like 
he's like terrifying but he also has like funny moments like which is really i think hard to do with mm-hmm. villain characters like this and seriously i love that scene where he like is running into the bastards at the theater mm-hmm. and he knows immediately that they're all full of it but he's messing with them like trying to like perfect their accents for their names yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's like even comedy he's like oh good job like i say oh, i your forgot name. what he's yeah. trying to make them say but it's like Margarete, <laughs> Margarete, Dominic de Coco. Oh, can you do that one more time? Dominic de Coco. Very nice. Like, no. he's absolutely happy with Brad Pitt say though? Brad Pitt. It's like Gorlami. Yeah, Gorlami. He's like, could you just could you say it please one more time? I really want to hear. I want to hear the beauty of the language. Gorlami. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, because Brad Pitt, like, just. His accent's so thick, like he and he says <laughs> he, yeah, he says he the best. He he's, he's like I speak Italian. the best Italian out of all. Of us. <laughs> and he's like Buongiorno, grazie. Like he's and he's not grazie, oh, grazie. <laughs> Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> yeah. God, there's just there's no reason. Like <laughs> you're right about him being like. He's probably the best villain out of any of the Hitler. his movies, Quentin. Like, like any any movie out of any of his movies. Yeah, I like think he's the best the, villain. Out of, the I best like guy. how he's like not physically threatening, but the power that he wields right. as a character. Even like when he's like, yeah, I'll like sell out Hitler. Yeah. He still is like wielding this power to like live, you know, and then. And the best thing about him, I think, too, is that, like, he's sometimes really unexpected. But also, I like that he's not completely perfect. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, for one, if you take just the ending itself, you're like, mm-hmm. wow, you really got screwed over like that. He's like, you'll be shot for this. He's like, I- I'll be fine. He's like, I'll probably get chewed out. I've been chewed out before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, I... But I'm saying, like, earlier in the movie when he runs into... Um, believe her name is Shoshana I believe it was when he runs into her again but he can't he doesn't recognize her at all even though she's freaking out like oh my god he's gonna figure out well he never saw her up close he never saw her running true but I'm saying like in other movies I feel like a lot of the time when they do something like that the villain starts like figuring it out or something or they're like he never figured it out or maybe he does know who it is and they're just kind of not revealing it too much he's that good of a hunter where he like remembered that one got away and so it's like a secret tally he has in the back of his head that's what I was like expecting and I was really glad it like, and I think that's kind of what he's doing. He's trying to like stress the watcher. Like, oh the yeah, he does out. that just to stress you out. Oh yeah. But I'm like, I'm so glad too that they don't try to make him like this absolutely perfect villain. Like he, oh, he could tell who this is all these years later. It's mm-hmm. like no, like he just thinks some random person, and he can't just read through her, even though he's messing with her. But you can kind of tell that he probably does this interrogation shit to everyone because that's all he knows. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't read through her or anything. He doesn't like suspect it. Like, oh, are you just a Jew just hiding in uh, Germany? It's like, or or France. actually that yeah, France, and it's like. I love that they, um, he doesn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. It cream. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of... Who I thought was really good. Who's the guy who's, like, in love with Shoshana who's in Civil War? I forget his name, but, like, yeah. he was really good. I love that portion I just of called Baron Zemo. Yeah, Baron Zemo. <laughs> I wanted to say that, but I didn't want to, like, yeah. I do love about that is that they add a lot of humanity to that scene. Mm-hmm. Because... He um, obviously really has a thing for her, but she wants no interest in him. 
purely because he's a Nazi. He's a Nazi, and to me, I, up up until he starts getting a little aggressive, Daniel Brühl. Daniel Brühl, that's his name. Up until he gets like really aggressive, to me, there doesn't seem to be like any apparent reason to brush him off that much. I mean, you can oh, yeah. brush him nice, but that's what I mean. Like he seemed really nice, and he didn't. That's what I mean. That seemed like the only reason she really wanted nothing to do with him, which makes sense. Yeah. But it's like I do like that when she kills him, though. There's a part of her that suddenly kind of feels bad, yeah. and I'm just like, I kind of believe this because like she just kills someone, and she's like looking at him, and she's like, you know, he was kind of nice. It's like, like, and, and, it's, and it's their biggest <laughs> failure because then she just gets shot herself. And I don't know if other people would see that and be like, oh, that's unbelievable. No woman would do that. I'm like, I, I don't know. I feel like if I were in that, I don't know. I, I can't be in that situation. But I feel like. I understand it mm-hmm. because she really thinks he's dead, and then part of her's like, I don't know, like he was a little nice, and I'm, yeah. I have always loved that scene so much because I'm like, wow, then like that was her biggest failure in the movie for someone who kept succeeding left and right. It she let that get to her at the end, and then mm-hmm. she literally died because of it. And um, I love the music in that scene too. Yeah, had it on my phone. <laughs> Did B J Novak being in this movie put like? Throw you off at all? <laughs> it threw me off a bit. <laughs> it, it, it did because I didn't know what the office was when I first saw it. Okay. So I'll give it that. We were joking that when he got fired from Dunder Mifflin, that's where he went. Yeah. Like, he got sent back in time. He went and did that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's only one time sent where. back in time. <laughs> this is only... one of his, like, his, his cocaine fueled dreams. Yeah. Like, <laughs> from, like, season four or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's only one time where Ryan really starts shining through, and it's when. What do they call him? They call him the little man, and he yeah. gets, like, bothered by. It. They call, they me, call the me the little, little man? man? <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm watching an office, like, interview right now. Yeah, you're the little man. <laughs> That was the only time, but the rest of it, I was like, mm-hmm. I did. I really enjoyed that casting. Yeah. Um, it was good because mm-hmm. he, he in general should be in more movies. I uh, so I wanted to see this movie for a long time. My grandpa was like really into World War Two movies, and he had it on a shelf. And I saw the trailer. I thought the trailer looked crazy. Um, and when I finally watched it, I was like really disappointed. Really? Yeah. And. I was well, so I had seen this is another one I'd seen like like twenty minutes of it in the middle, but like before I'd seen the whole thing. The twenty minutes I saw was like Daniel Brühl, like the German guy, talking to Shoshana when she's like putting up the letters on the mm-hmm. theater, and then that scene where they're like grabbing, like where they're like eating food and they're like, in the cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like. And then it went into the very beginning of when uh, Fassbender and them are like in the basement of that pub, and that's like my favorite scene. It's good, but it's like I just I just went into it. Or I was flipping through channels when I was like thirteen, and just saw that scene go up into that one. Hmm. And I'm the only Brad Pitt you see in that whole like half an hour is him like standing on his tiptoes looking in through a window. And I'm like, this is, like, the Nazi hunting movie I've been dying to see, <laughs> is all this dialogue. So, like, I thought it was going to be, like, this rambunctious movie. And mm. it wasn't for those, like, half hour. Well, then, you know, years down the road, I find out who Quentin Tarantino is. I know what I'm getting into now, and I expect it to be more dialogue-based. And I love it. But, like, my first intro was, like, I didn't care to see it because I thought, like, 
I the trailer made it seem before knowing Contain Tale, I thought it was gonna be like this just balls to the walls. Yeah. More up the alley of like uh what was that one we Overlord <laughs> or something, you know? <laughs> um but no, I I like it a lot. It's uh I don't think there's a single scene in it that I don't like. I love how like he sneaks his love for like the art of filmmaking into a World War Two movie, um, and I, yeah, every actor is really dynamic. I love how as much as I thought like going into like this is just about the Nazi hunters, the Nazi hunters in there are, like have a significantly small portion of the movie is them, and. Yeah, and even then they seem it's just like word of mouth makes them scarier than they are because like mm. just people talk about like oh yeah when he beats a guy with, with a baseball baseball bat that's like the least cringy like or gory part for me mm. you know um, but I did uh, have a beer in that restaurant though that they oh you did yeah oh, really? where they have the the like in the basement. <laughs> Or the, no, not the pub. The they're like oh. the really fancy one with with the Goebbels, <laughs> the propaganda officer, my ancestor, <laughs> Joseph Goebbels. Yeah, we uh, when I was in Germany, we were um, at this church for this thing, and this German kid that was like on our team was like, "Hey, he's like, you like movies?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "It's like Inglorious Bastards was filmed right there in that restaurant." And I'm like, no. And he showed me on his phone. I didn't have my phone with, but he, he showed me on his phone. I'm like, that's it. That's like the place. And so I, I asked people. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna duck out for like a half hour. And so I just walked across the street and grabbed a beer and just sat there and just by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Went back. And that was it. What city was that in? Berlin. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right, in Berlin. It's weird though, cause it's like, I mean, there's not really like suburbs. It's just in the most random part of town for that to be selected as like a filming location but it was right next to his family's church so while they were at church he said he saw Quentin Tarantino walking around because like, they'd block off the street for filming and you just see him walking around during their church service he's like walking around the other side of this window and stuff looks a lot like Quentin Tarantino <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I am um, I, I would say honestly that this is probably as near perfect of a movie as you can get with just literally everything mm-hmm. like Absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know what people could complain about on this movie. I have nothing. No, I love it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's one of it's my number two on my list. My number one. It's um, my number two. My number six. If you really, it's it's below Pulp Fiction and above Reservoir Dogs. You're nice. I give it five so. stars. <laughs> Yeah, I gave it five gave stars it five. too. I think I, it, I gave it five stars too. No, 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 no coming back from that. I think a lot of people would probably like list this a lot higher. I know some people who are like this is their favorite. One. Most people I've met is their favorite. I and I could see that. And honestly, I I feel like I accept that more than like Pulp Fiction because I feel like Pulp Fiction is just a more popular one to go to. But I'm just like mm-hmm. I feel like Inglorious Bastards is the better movie better put together movie and to me I think it is like his best movie it's not my favorite but we'll get into that but it's mm-hmm. like to me it's like his best like I don't think he'll ever be able to top himself with that because it's just too damn good and it just got everything right and I think this is the one that like 
years down the road, like people will be like Pulp Fiction. People will talk about because it was just so unique in its time, and it's still unique compared to other movies today. Mm-hmm. But Unglorious Bastards, I think, will always be hailed as like a how how did someone get it so right? How did someone mm-hmm. get everything just mm-hmm. so right in one movie? Um, well, that's also as far as I can remember, that's like the first famous historical fiction movie done like that. Like this didn't happen? <laughs> well, like, when I was watching I'm like, I had no idea this happened. Like, <laughs> until Hitler died. I'm like, wait, okay, I know that's not how that happened. But up until I'm like, I had no idea he almost died at a movie theater thing. And then he'd <laughs> get shot, so I'm like, okay, this is, now they're messing with me. This never happened. I, I, up I until get- then, I was like, this is crazy. When I first saw it, and this was like 2009, I, I did kind of think for a second. I was like, I didn't think Hitler... Because I thought people didn't really know how he died. I'm like, I... He got... Did, I'm like, is he... Did he die kind of like this? I'm like, did someone kill him? He died in a bunker. Did he over poisoned himself in a Well, bunker. they say he poisoned himself, but yeah. there was always... Oh, really, he went to Cuba. Well, yeah, I've... There's, was never found. Yeah, that's the thing. There's technically know how he died. So there's always been conspiracies about it, but everyone says... It was never actually Hitler. If you look, everybody, everybody, like all historians always say that he died of a <laughs> tablet. But, but mm-hmm. there were like potential sightings in I don't know if it Cuba. was Cuba. Was it Cuba? I believe it was Cuba. It was either Cuba or like Peru or something like that. I gotta say, a guy that big, a guy that big with that much power, I could see somehow surviving. Oh, I thought you meant like being noticed. People with less <laughs> power, like some just random SS. Like Miners. people or like or just sneak into Nazis, America. they went to South America. Yeah, cause a they, lot of them. Some of them were saved by the Americans because they used them for like uh, the fact that they had like the scientific knowledge. And I didn't Hello, think that was yeah. Winter true. Soldier. I didn't think that was true. I cause yeah. it was because of the X Men First Class. I literally did not think that was true until I started reading up about it. It's actually one hundred percent true. And I said, God, we are a messed up country. We, there is something wrong with us. Very like, messed up. Morals. Now we have Hydra. And I said, like, yeah, skin. I would not be surprised if Hitler's alive. I wouldn't be surprised. If Red Skull. I mean, not no. still alive. If he's still alive, you <laughs> should be studying him for science. That's what happened to Hitler. Honestly, he touched the space cube and he got sucked up to the soldier. <laughs> he got sucked into South America. <laughs> you know what? Imagine, imagine if it, in in Infinity in Endgame and Infinity War, instead of Red Skull, it was Hitler. Hitler, yeah. He was going to grab it. It's like you must yeah make a and sacrifice. Like, and like fuck so that. Like it's like I, what if Thanos is like you know what I'm pretty bad, but dude, come on, like because <laughs> yeah. I could see like Hawkeye being like I'm I'm really distracted by this guy over here. Like I could do you not recognize. Him. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like if Hitler were to shave the stash, he probably could make it for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> he just shaves the stash. If he shaved the stash and grew out the hair, he'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe even shave the Instead of, like, just having, yeah, the hair to the side, just sweeps yeah, back. Yeah, hat. Gets really into the 50s and gets, like, a leather jacket. and like, He has, like, a mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> um, what has, like, a bart, <laughs> like, a full mustache. He just becomes Ned Flanders. He grows it up more in. Want to get well, to the next one? Let's go to Django. The mm-hmm. Django Unchained. Django. Django, have you always. That's right. Django. I actually hear crickets. So Literally. I. This is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It's my second favorite. Second favorite. Nice. I think this is my fourth favorite. 
<laughs> You're messing it up. No. Fifth favorite, sorry. What? Oh, that's worse. <laughs> I I saw this movie streamed illegally online when it first came out, trying to see every movie for 2012 before the Oscars. And it was three hours long, and I was like, I'm not sure if I can be able to do this tonight. And I watched it all, and I continuously watched it, like, every couple months. Up until pretty much now, like, I still watch it every couple months. And I still... It's... I wouldn't even be surprised if it's one of my favorite movies, because this is just... I love every bit of this movie, and even, like, every time I'm like, well, no, but this part here gets a little boring, maybe, and this part gets a little long, and I can see maybe people wanting to dip out here, or maybe they could have cut this here, but every time I watch it, I'm like, nope, I still enjoy it. It's still great. I love that Tarantino, after all these years, just made up a straight-up hero's journey movie. That's basically, like, all this is. I like seeing Christoph Waltz playing the good guy immediately Mm -hmm. after... One of the best good guys in the world... Immediately after playing the bad guy. I love that. I love that they did that with him. Because it was completely out of character for him. After Christoph Waltz was in Glorious Bastards, he was like immediately cast to be in Water for Elephants. Guess what? As the villain. He's in the Bond movie as a villain. Like, he was going to start getting typecast. Tarzan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, was he? Yeah. Yeah, and Tarantino. His weapon was a bead necklace. Oh. So, yeah. I figured that one out. I don't even remember so that. I should, are you saying <laughs> I should see this so movie? Bad. You should, because I want to know your honesty. <laughs> I saw it in theaters, I don't remember. Is this the one with or without Samuel Jackson? The one with, with Samuel Jackson. Oh, okay. What was the that line that he Tarzan. did? What was that Sam Jackson line? I, I don't remember. It was so Something, stupid. I, don't I just found really it. his weapon is like a bead necklace with a cross on it, and he like uses it as a whip to fight Tarzan. I just learned that this understand. Peter Pan adaptation called Pan that stars Hugh Jackman oh, as yeah. a I've... pre- uh, Captain Hook person before Captain Hook got old enough to be Captain Hook and in the movie they sing all together a rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. what? real I scene I, I remember remind me about this I re- later I remember when this weird. came out because I remember like going into Walmart and like the beeper things when you walk in having like the poster for that on it and yeah. I was like what why is Hugh Jackman? Who is? What is this? Captain <laughs> Hook used to be a cowboy. Type <laughs> well, because I, be I, I, I had no interest in it. I was like, well, that looks like a bomb. But then after seeing that scene, I was like, why was that not the trailer? Was it I a, would have seen it immediately. Was it a Disney movie? No, okay. no, it was like Warner Brothers. I'm serious when I mean it. He used to be a cowboy. In this movie, they depict him as a wait, cowboy. Wait, you've seen this movie? <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, Tarzan. Gave it two stars. I saw this in the theater. Tarzan was the cowboy. The Hugh Jackman one. Pan. Yes. Pen. Oh, Pen. You saw Pen? In the theater, yeah. So you remember the Smells Like Teen Spirit scene? Yeah. Okay. It was <laughs> weird. Is it theaters? Yeah. Because well, well, me and... and uh, Wait, he used to be a... Po- he used to ex, be a what? We went to go see... I think we were going to see Bridge of Spies or something, and it was sold out when we got there. Oh, you made the way better choice. And so we're like, all right, I guess let's see Pen. <laughs> Who was the guy with the feather jacket? Huh? That's He's Hugh Jackman. Fancy. That's yeah, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. He's the pirate. Yeah, <laughs> but you but want like, to be a cowboy. So, so he's not Captain Hook. That's a different pirate. No, I, like, I understood that. I remember that. He owns like he basically runs like this giant like like a western looking mine full of children, and then Pan's like a, a boy, <laughs> a little boy, and then Captain Hook is like this other. He's like a, a cowboy that got lost in that world, and they team up. Pan's little boy and Hook. They like team up. And then somehow in the end, I can't really remember 
like Pan double crosses Hook, and that's when then Hook becomes the pirate. He like takes over the ship or something yeah. like that. I kind of figured that from the trailer. So Hook is like the Ryan Gosling looking guy. Yeah, he looks kind of like Army Hammer. It's not him though. Yeah, he was in the. Or he actually looks more like the guy from. Uh, I get mixed up with the guy from Sons of Anarchy. He's in, he looks like we have in Pacific. He was in the the that new Ben Affleck movie that was on Netflix, Frontier, Third Frontier, something like that. Anyway, Django, like it, love it. That was the first full length Quentin Tarantino movie I saw. I saw it on Netflix with my dad, and it was a real time, real real wild time. Um, I was. Um, timid to watch it for a while because uh, other people and I'd say like, oh yeah, I heard you know Django and Chain's really good. Everyone said, oh like I want to watch it, but I I can't handle rape scenes. I heard that rape scene, you know, I, I heard there's this awful rape scene in the movie, and, and I can't watch it. There's no rape scene in that movie, is there? Can you go I don't believe so. <laughs> I can, I've Have seen the movie seen three times. times. I don't know of a single rape scene, but I've heard so many people say that they can't handle the rape scene in it. Unless they're talking about when he's hanging upside down and they grab his nuts. No, they said a girl, and oh. they, they might have heard the scene where she's, she's naked in whipped, that but box. She's in that hot box. Yeah, not, there's not, a, but she's not getting raped. There's yeah. not a rape scene in the movie. They're wrong. Yeah, that's so that's weird. what I'm thinking. They're, they're thinking about a different movie or something. But I was like timid to watch it because I I thought this was going to be so bad and it wasn't. I do like the fantasy aspect of the movie because obviously something like this probably never happened. But I like the idea of like, hmm? oh, maybe it did. <laughs> It'd be cool about a slave getting like freed and then immediately becoming a cowboy who becomes a bounty hunter, hunting down the same people that. Basically treated him like crap with his German dad, <laughs> and yeah, and I, I guess people probably could argue too. It has that like white savior trope to it, and I mean it does, but I mean, I, it kind of has to in this time. Sadly. Yeah, that's true. Part of it is it kind of needs it. I mean, to a point, I guess they could have had it where he just escapes, and that's it'd the be end boring. Of it. If it was just him walking around well, as Django. There is that, a, there, that. Then that would he needs someone to inspire dialogue. Yeah. There is a way to do the white savior trope right, and this is, I think, an example of how you can kind of do it right and get away with it. And I, it's not ever just don't make him American white. Well, I don't have <laughs> don't have your white character completely overshadow the other one, and I don't think he does. I think they get pretty equal screen time, and he needs to learn from him. But also, that character does towards the end of the movie disappear because he gets killed. And then we have only the one hero, and he is very much the one who saves his wife from that um, situation. So mm -hmm. I think they do it correct in this movie. If you were to need an example of how to do the trope correct, if you really need to do it, and um, well, yeah, but it would just make the story a lot harder because he wouldn't be able to just walk into town without being stopped. It would be a completely different movie. Like it would be. He'd for just sure. be on the run the whole time. I think it'd be cool to still see a movie where it's like a slave escapes and then he comes back to kill a bunch of people while on the run. Tell your slave. But yeah, it, that's no, it's not that. That movie's not that at all. <laughs> but I mean, like, I I think that would be an interesting Huckleberry movie. Finn. But it would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> I like this movie because. Um, yeah, it's got that hero aspect to it where he's got to kind of learn his way. It's got such a great soundtrack, such a good look. Like, 
Tarantino's good at making a western movie, and um, has a lot of the typical western tropes in it. But he also twists them on their side, and um, Old Town Road would have been good in that movie. No, <laughs> I mean they have a Tupac song in the movie, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and Old Town Road. You know what's funny is that people kind of kept asking Tarantino in interviews, like, "Why'd you have the Tupac song?" And he's like, "Because I wanted to." And it's like <laughs> that is a weird thing to ask, because like, who cares if it wasn't in that time period? I'm like, he really showed, like, just use whatever song you think fits the scene. And it's mm-hmm. like it did. He used a lot of songs that are from different time periods, obviously, mm-hmm. and he uses um, a Jim Croce Croce song. Oh yeah, and that, that was good. I love that song. That's a great. Montage. I think I have that album too. And um. I uh, I do love the scene where because um, they're going against Calvin Candy, which in itself is a great performance. The one that Leonardo DiCaprio should have won for, mm. and then he did Wolf of Wall Street, and should have won for, and then he won for The Revenant for God knows what reason. But um, I really like that. Um, you know, everything's like figured out. And I this is another thing I wrestled with for a long time was why did. Um, now I'm forgetting his name because I want to say Hans Lerner. That's not his name in the movie. Um, Christoph Waltz. Schultz, Sergeant, not Sergeant Schultz. <laughs> That's a character in a different show. Um, no, Schultz. So I've always wrestled with the fact that they're signing over in the paperwork um, Jingle's wife to basically be in their property so they can like free her, mm-hmm. and everything's being figured out, and then. Um, they're playing like Beethoven or whatever and Schultz is still just thinking back to how they murdered that guy earlier in the movie with the dogs and it's bothering him so much and Calvin Candy's ticking him off so much that instead of because every character that he had killed in the movie up until then were all people that were bounties bad people and Candy had no bounty on him but he was just finally like screw this guy I'm gonna shoot him even though he he knows it's gonna screw over Django yeah but I think he's such a a true character to himself that he that he wouldn't he would even though he, they'd win her over which maybe is a more honorable thing because mm-hmm. he to just walk away it was a mix of pride but it was also a mix of like he wins if I give him money for the rights of another person's life he said mm-hmm. like in his mind the most right thing to do is to murder this guy in cold blood and walk out of here without letting him win but he hands up. He wants to shake his hand, mm-hmm. and he can't do it. He's like, he's like, if I shake his hand, like we lose. Well, I think so, it's also. I think it's like a with, rock and a hard place, you know. I because to me, I always kind of got bothered by it because I was like, dude, if he just walked away, you yeah. know, Django wouldn't have had to gone through like the second batch of killing everybody and mm-hmm. making it way tougher. I'm like, and you didn't really know if he was going to make it out of that mm-hmm. situation if you weren't there to help him. But rewatching the movie since then, I'm like, God, I'm so happy he does it. And, mm-hmm. like, it's completely in character, I think, for him. Because he's like, I just can't do that to myself to shake this guy's hand. Mm-hmm. He's like... He even says right after, he's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. And it's like, <laughs> such a good point. And, um, yeah, it screws Jangle over, but it comes with, like, the greatest, like, gun sequence ever. Where he's, like, killing everyone in that mm-hmm. house. Blows up the house at the end. There's so many, like, good little scenes in the movie, too. Like, that whole, like... It's pre-Ku uh, Klux Klan, but they have that little Klan meeting. And they're, like, all showing up, and they're playing that, uh... Oh, what's the name of that? What is the name of that classic tune? I even forget, but... The... Dun... Dun... 
da, 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 da. like he's oh, the, the one, one the one from that movie. Is it, is it called March of the Valkyries? Is that the name of it? The Flight of the Valkyries is a uh, um. Da, 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 da. No. Oh, that's okay. No, I wonder what. No, the one that you're thinking of is actually from. Remember Black Klansman when they showed that. Like, yeah. The, oh no, I know that. that I know that. that from that. Well, kind of, because I know it's in that movie, but like it's like actually a classic piece from way back in the day, I believe. But I think that's what they're going. Back yeah, to, I, so. no, and yeah, that's what he was going for. Um, yeah, Birth of a Nation, anyway. But like, I love that they're like showing them showing up at this uh, at the uh, the tooth dentist office, I guess, on the road dentist guy. And then they cut immediately back to earlier when they're all fighting about the bags. <laughs> and I like that they just show these guys as being completely incompetent. Like, we all agree it was a great gesture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because one of their wives, like, made them. <laughs> I love you guys, I'm going home. Yeah. I love that probably a lot of them die. And that that one guy who was ticked that everyone's mocking his wife like ran away like that guy like completely like yeah, just saved fine. himself by running away. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Wasn't that like what happens in Once It's Upon Time in Hollywood when uh, uh, with Rowan's daughter like oh I yeah. lost my whatever in the yeah. car and, and then, then she, she just leaves, leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and saves herself. You know that like yeah this person saved for I don't know what reason. There's probably some character like that in Inglorious Bastards who saves themselves and leaves. Just, like, I can't think of it. Someone like leaves the movie theater early enough. <laughs> so we agree we're not going to wear the bags this time. But next time, no, we're still using the bags. I can say no bags. I, but I can't see nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, but then I like that they cut right back to it, and it's like they're already one step ahead of them. Like we don't even know that the entire time, and then suddenly we find out oh they were one step ahead of them this entire time. Mm-hmm. They're just gonna kill them all. When does Jonah Hill show up? Is that that's at that, that, that scene, right? Okay, yeah. that's something I'm like. That's what one. was he credited as? Like baghead number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I like absolutely every scene in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is one of the, I would say, all time best movies. And it's like I don't even think it's his best put together movie because I think Inglorious Bastards is better put together. I think Pulp Fiction is better put together. Mm-hmm. But Django Unchained. I would much rather watch on any given day because it just makes me feel so damn good. And it's such a feel... It's a feel-good ending to it and everything. The way... I mean, a lot of his movies technically have feel-good endings if you really think about it. I don't... I think people would argue that, no, he's so violent. He doesn't... It's like majority of his movies have feel-good endings if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... I just wonder what happens after the movie. <laughs> like, dogs. Django just... When they run away? away? Yeah. They run away to the north, and then they're free. Right? Why they oh, they get shot right away. No, don't. Dude, that's what the Zorro scene movie's gonna be about. How they <laughs> Zorro just up. kills him. <laughs> well, that would be kind of sad. <laughs> Django versus Zorro. No, that's a movie. It's like Civil War. It's safe, Martha! <laughs> it's, it's a Civil War <laughs> poster, but it's Django and... It's a Civil War poster, but it's Django and Zorro facing well, off. Yeah, I have to. I hope both of their parents' names are Martha. Um, <laughs> but that's Django. Um, that's number one on my list. Five stars. Um, you all said it was like... Two, you said five. Five. What? Four and a half stars. Two on my list. Four and a half stars. Five star movie Actually, number two. would give it five stars. Two on my list was five stars. Five stars. No, oh, it already was five stars. <laughs> we move immediately into the Hateful Eight. Which was the first Tarantino movie I saw in theaters. I don't know if that's 
where you're all at, but let's find time. Oh, was it for all of you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I caught Hateful Eight in theaters and uh, very long. And I remember the first time seeing it, I was like, I think it is just kind of hard to watch a western movie from Tarantino when he just released one of the best Tarantino western movies mm-hmm. ever. To then like go to the Hateful Eight and be like, well, this is completely different. Mm-hmm. But rewatching it, I'm like, there is a really good story here. I will give it that. Like, there's a great, like, story buried in here. Like, a great novel, almost. Like, it was kind of almost written like a novel, was, which yeah. he does a lot. And he's even said, he's like, I think that might be one of my best stories, is Hateful Eight. And I love kind of learning about all the character backgrounds. And, I mean, at first I didn't appreciate the gore that much, but watching it again, I was like, this is just... Messy. It's just messy and disturbing, and I, I dig it to a point. And Sam Jackson's monologue is amazing, but um, to me, he's the main character of the movie. But oh, yeah. what do you all think of it? It's my favorite. This is your favorite one. Mm-hmm. Wow! Explain why. I'd love to hear. This was so I had already seen Django. Still didn't really know who Quentin Tarantino was. This movie, I saw it on posters. I wanted to see it in the theater, but the girl I was dating just hated westerns. You know, didn't wouldn't spend money on it, which is weird because we saw Pan anyway. Um, <laughs> eventually, I convinced her to red box it, and we. I just got it on. I thought it was DVD at the time, but I remember it had. It was the cut with the overture and the intermission. Um. And we were just enthralled the whole movie. Um, we just couldn't... I don't know. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it for, like, weeks. I kept thinking about that movie and the experience it was. I ended up red boxing it again and again, I think, at least two times. Um, and uh, I know I watched it on Netflix as soon as it came to Netflix the first time. I eventually bought it on DVD and Redbox. And, or on Redbox, on Blu-ray. I just... I love it. The, the story... 100% is it I, I know I've seen it but more than any other Tarantino movie and it's still like every scene gets me it feels like it's the first time I'm watching it you know it doesn't feel long to me um at least when I'm watching it by myself it doesn't feel long when I'm watching it with other people I'm so I want other people to, to like it as much as I do and so sometimes I feel like it's long for their sake but when I'm watching it it just I don't feel it at all it I only just comes the together. extended cut, so I don't even know the difference. Yeah, I still haven't yet, so <laughs> I didn't realize it's five mini or whatever. But no, I love it. I love the the gore is it's good. I really like it a lot. I I just I love every Kurt Russell. I think is my favorite Kurt Russell role. Ever? I love. I think so. Um, I love Sam Jackson. I love that. All these other people came back. That Tim Roth is in it. That the I can't remember his name, but the guy from Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill and Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde. Um, uh, Zoe favorite. Bell's back. Um, yeah, okay, I don't know. So I really, I just love the whole. Once upon a time in Hollywood, does he play the same character? Sam Jackson. No, Mr. Blonde. As he's basically he's, he's got the same, exactly the same he's got the same le- leather vest on so I don't know he's got like the bandana and everything if there's a combined universe then it would be a movie that that actor acted in yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. you know 
but no, I don't know. I just I love it. I don't I don't know how I could I love that movie so much. I, I don't know how I could love other another Tarantino movie more than it. Almost. It's like It's like your favorite child. It's like Fargo. Like I just have this prof, like profound love for this movie. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, it's the first movie that this is the one that I'm like Alright, who directed this? Quentin Tarantino? Oh, he did that Django movie. That movie was really good. And I'm like, I want to follow... And he is like... I don't know if I said this at the top of the show. I think Tarantino's my favorite director. And I don't want to be the guy who says it, but, like... I really like him a lot. And this movie, to me, is... Is why. Yeah. You know? So, this put him on my map, is, is this movie. Have you have you seen Hateful Eight? Mm-hmm. I saw all of them. Did you watch Hateful Eight after we got to all the other ones? Because I thought there was one of them you hadn't seen. She watched. I watched it, it literally. I finished it as we were sitting outside, oh, really? right before we did the <laughs> live week. episode. So what do you think uh, immediately after kind of leaving it? And you got to see the uh, four part version then, right? No, no, I didn't have time. Oh, so you watched the movie then? Yeah, I okay. just watched the regular one. Um, I liked it a lot. It's number four on my list. I gave it four and a half stars. It was really fun. I loved all the gore. It was so <laughs> good. Like the three minute projectile blood vomit. That mm-hmm. was amazing. I loved that mm-hmm. so much. And like the ending I had no idea what was gonna happen. So that was super cool that the last I don't know, thirty minutes were just bananas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my only real issue with it is that I, I feel like I think it probably just is the Django comparison. And that some of the parts are kinda slower to me. Um, which I mean, we'll talk about this the next movie too. Where I don't, I don't think it makes it a bad movie. I think there's just like a good collection of scenes yeah. that are really good, and a lot of good actors put together in one room. Mm-hmm. Um, shot, and there's like so many things I really appreciate. Walter about it. Like too. the fact that they shot on CinemaScope lenses to have that wide of a format for a movie that's mostly in one really small location, and then. This is all, I really appreciate that, and I also like that Ennio Morricone actually came back and did the entire score himself. At this point, Tarantino only used like pieces of his score from other movies, but he actually made the entire score for this movie. He won an Oscar for this movie, mm-hmm. which was the first Oscar he ever won. The guy who did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly never had an Oscar. He had an honorary Oscar, but never for writing a score. Finally got one for this movie, and I'm like, that's enough for me to say that this movie's amazing, mm-hmm. and it still is great. Um, and like I said, that scene with Sam Jackson telling that story, I'm like, so manipulative and so twisted and so funny at the same time, like, just oh, great. Oh yeah, <laughs> that story. I, well, and I also like the whole. Uh, I like the whole Lincoln letter. Yeah, how it kind of carries mm-hmm. through the that's entire how, movie. That, that's my probably my favorite thing. That it's it's all made up, and that he he only uses it to basically hitch rides because people respect him more. Because like he said, for like obvious reasons, he's like that you will respect me more. And actually, and I, I it actually breaks my heart to see how sad Kurt Russell gets about it. He's mm-hmm. like, I can't believe you would lie about that. Mm-hmm. And I love that later in the movie when Walter Goggins is like dying with him. Like <laughs> he loves still like wants to hear the story even though he knows it's fake because he just knows it's that compelling still mm-hmm. despite Todd's being fake. That's a nice touch. <laughs> God I love it. I, 
And it, it always it always freaks me out though when he's like grabbing it because I'm like, God, it's probably all blooded up and like makes me sad. Mm-hmm. But no, it's I I love the relationship between him and Sam Jackson throughout the whole movie. Right, guys. What if they're brothers? No. <laughs> what if instead of Star Trek instead of Kill Bill Three, Hateful Nine. No. <laughs> instead of okay, I'm just gonna keep guessing. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> A really obscure Jump Street prequel with Jonah Hill <laughs> and Channing Tatum. <laughs> Channing Tatum as the guy in Hatefully and Jonah Hill is the They're only separated by like probably like what 30 years of, time, of that time frame? Sure. Because <laughs> that one's pre Civil War and post Civil yeah, War, yeah. so it would have to be like very. You'd have to age up Jonah Hill. What, they're both joining the Civil War? and <laughs> It's basically something like that, yeah. They're both, like, in the Civil War. Or, like... <laughs> Ice Cube's still well, in there. They have... It's shanked. Going to war. But, yeah, <laughs> pretending to be in the war. They're actually, like, Union soldiers, but Ice he's, like, sending them to fight for the South. <laughs> you two sons of bitches are going to the South. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh my god! Night. What? What? Eighteen hundred Jump Street? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Oh man. Yeah, no, dude. Put the captains. You know, I, <laughs> I will give it to. I'll give you this. Uh, I think Sony owns the rights to Django, so like, and Sony has twenty, so they could do that half at least. <laughs> they own. Just saying, Quentin, if you're listening, <laughs> Quentin, if and we right. know you Quentin, are. If you're listening. Yeah, just, dude, he, you know, dude, if you he, want a writing partner on this movie, <laughs> on Jump Street Origins. <laughs> Tarantino <laughs> Jump Street Origins, Wolverine. <laughs> Tarantino stopped listening hours ago when I said that Harvey Cattell and Tim Roth's relationship wasn't believable enough. I'm sure he stopped right there. He's like, you know, you know what, guys? You just, you're not paying attention to the filmmaking because I write this stuff, I put it in, and I really, I exercise yeah. my craft. Quinn, I didn't mean what I said about the dead storage. It was fine. <laughs> it's <was> tasteful. <laughs> like, you know what? And I always got these guys, now 20 years later, all coming in my face, and they're trying to mock my dialogue. We should, like, you we should talk movie, about man. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I definitely still think Jackie Brown was boring. Yeah, that, you know what? that was boring. Jackie Brown? I, I don't even care. You know what? You're all, you're all wrong. You know what? I'm going to direct 10 movies, and I'm going to die. Tarant- I'm going to be remembered Tarantino? forever. Tarantino, can what? we... Can we talk about your latest movie now? No, you know what? I'm just I'm sick of you guys. <laughs> I, what, what did I he just, say during I just, that? What, I just really want to talk about once. I just I reject your hypothesis. That's what he said mm-hmm. during that interview. Oh, thank you for that exclusive look. Into Welcome to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> thank you. This is probably my masterpiece as far as great filmmaking goes. I went right back. To the seventies, actually, like sixties. You know what? Don't get all up in my face, okay? I've made movies. What have you done? I'm on a podcast. You know, I love feet. <laughs> feet. It's <laughs> like, like I've been in a movie. Jesus, I should. Have you ever heard of Christopher Lloyd? I didn't know. Ever heard of a small film called "I'm Not a Serial Killer"? I was on the podcast that came up with Jump Street Origins. <laughs> <laughs> Jump, Jump Street Origins. The truth is, you, you go up to Tarantino and ask him about any movie if he's seen that he has. That's <laughs> true. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I want to know, what were you originally expecting and did you like what you get? 
I was expecting to actually watch a movie about the Manson murders. Oh, yeah. And then that... I wasn't disappointed, but I was just taken aback. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how it was going to happen, because I knew it was about an actor and a stunt double, and I knew about the Manson stuff, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how they would tie in together. Yeah. So, I figured Sharon Tate would, like, be in a movie with Leonardo and... I don't know. Charlie would be on set or something. Yeah. But... It was pretty much for me exactly what I thought it was going to be. I figured it would be paced kind of like this. A lot of talking. A lot of Tarantino-ish scenes, obviously. To me, this was his most... The movie that was most like Pulp Fiction. It was very stylized, like like Tarantino. Where, I, I don't... Not because of the chronological stuff because it's told chronologically but more that it's like a collection of scenes of people just kind of hanging out in mm. scenarios that don't all ultimately add up to the ending of the movie but it all leads to like one big awesome ending and like in Glorious Bastards it kind of changes history but that's the thing I was thinking it was going to be more like in Glorious Bastards where it was just really kind of great perfected story a bunch of different things going on all at once, but mm-hmm. all evenly paced out. And it's not really what it is. It's more just about this guy's failing acting career, or so he thinks, mm-hmm. and he's kind of feeling like he's washed out and he's trying to avoid it as much as he can. And a lot of tributes to the 60s and I guess early 70s, even though, like you said, it's like 68 in this movie, mm-hmm. um, to that age of Hollywood that was around right before the big blockbusters kind of came through, and Hollywood changed a lot after that, but this was definitely a different period of Hollywood. And just, like, a lot of good scenes and good acting moments throughout. Um, so, I mean, it's not what I was expecting, but I still really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate it. I loved it. S- still give it, like, four and a half out of five stars. I just don't think it's, like, one of his best movies, but I don't really expect that at this point. Especially mm-hmm. after Hateful Eight, I'm just kind of, like... To me, I don't think he's going to be able to top Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained, mm-hmm. but I'm like okay with that at this point. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we don't even really need that. I just like that he can kind of do a completely different movie mm-hmm. set in a different time period than what his other ones have been, and uh, still really entertaining. So, do you see it as Leo is the main actor or Brad Pitt? I think it's Leo's story because. I think he has the most compelling journey in it. I actually really dig his, like, whole journey of kind of being, like, he's washed out. His mm-hmm. career is kind of failing. And then he kind of, like, it's it's almost like someone who's lost, who was real popular, had his place for years. And I like that there's kind of a happy ending where he kind of finds his place again. And it really does have to do with Hollywood connections. It's, like, it's kind of a weird element to it, but it's, like... It is kind of referencing the fact that, you know, if you just have the right connections, your career might be better. And, like, Leonardo DiCaprio knew nothing about the people up the road. He knew it was Roman Polanski who directed the Rosemary's Baby. Mm. And, you know, just newly got married and everything. Um, but he knew nothing about them, never talked to them. And then after all those incidents happened, he, like, was talking to them and went out to hang out with them. And you can only assume he'll eventually meet Roman Polanski and he'll make this great movie. And I guess Roman Polanski won't run away to a different country for raping a child. But, you know, 
Is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. Roman was it actually his house that the actual Manson's murders happened at? Or was it Sharon I'm Tate's not, house? Sh- sh- well, it was Roman Polanski's, I believe. But he wasn't there. But he wasn't there that night because okay. he was gone. And then she got murdered with her child that would be born soon. And then a couple of years later, Roman Polanski raped a child and then ran away to, I believe it was Italy. And then he still is directing movies. And then one of them won an Oscar and everyone cheered for him. And Hollywood's messed up to this day, but you know. Is he still around? Well, not anymore because of Me Too really shut him down. But, like, there were, like, allegations against him because he, he raped a 13-year-old. Mm. But everybody's like... Well, if you would have looked at her, it's like, wow, okay. I feel like the conversation ends right there. And there's some big notable people who defended Roman Polanski. Tarantino was one of them. He has since regretted them. And the woman that got raped has, like, come forward. People know who it is. And he's even, like, kind of apologized to her. And she, like, accepted it and everything, I guess. Like, saying, you know, like, it's... I, I get it to why people, like... Was it... Like statutory or what was? Uh, yeah, it's statutory because so. it's because they say like, well, you know, it's just because of the age. But I'm like, it to me, I'm like, come on, she's 13 for God's sake. I don't care if she looked like some 20 year old supermodel. She was a she, model for Vogue. She was 13. That's the end of it there. And he had sex with her. He raped her, and then he ran away to a different country when he knew he'd be getting in trouble. If you read the whole story, it's actually really interesting. He knew he was getting in trouble, and he basically got out at the perfect time. He's also rich, so he probably paid off the right people. He's been hiding, I believe, in Italy since then, and he's actually still been making movies, because he can't get extradited in Italy. Yeah, he's still a fugitive of the U.S. And they've still been trying to get him for years, but they just can't, because they can't extradite him. The government won't let him in Italy. So he was still able to make movies. He made a movie called The Pianist in 2002 that won Best Foreign Film. And when it won... He, made it, he did The Penis with... Uh, the Penis. Uh, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he did that movie. That was a good movie. And, he's, he, well, and he, that's the thing. He has talent. He does. Yeah. He's also a piece of shit. <laughs> but yeah. he has talent. And But the problem is, like, he made that movie. It won an Oscar. And at the Oscar ceremony, he got, like, a standing ovation. Even though he wasn't there, couldn't accept it because he can't come back to America. But got a standing ovation. And everyone... Because that was everyone's kind of, like, thing they pointed out after the Me Too moment happened. That, like, that's how far behind Hollywood was. Was the fact that they gave him an Oscar and a standing ovation for that. As if they were, like, felt bad for him still. Hmm. And at this point, he's gotten really hardcore Me too and... Is he... Did he film the whole thing in Italy, or did he... Yeah, he just made it in Italy, but he got, like, Adrian Brody to be in it. Because that's yeah. the thing, like, people in Hollywood still respected him, but they were... They, I think... Adrian Brody's, like, the only, like, notable actor in that movie. That I think I the remember. system is just so messed up at the time, and still kind of is, that, like, people were, like, forgiving him for that, thinking that it wasn't even, like, that bad of a thing. And, like, major studios still supported him, but he just couldn't, like, come here. Like, it's... The whole thing's messed up. <laughs> But that's a very small part of this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying, like, Leonardo DiCaprio working with Roman Polanski during that time would have been very good for his career. And uh, so I kind of like that element of it, that there's kind of a happy ending for him. And that mm-hmm. for everyone. even Because I, I think it's funny that people originally uh, were kind of speculating what the movie was going to be about. Like, oh, they're really going to glorify the Manson murders. Well, the, the Manson murders, one, don't happen... So they can't glorify it. Two, Charles Manson's in one scene. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, he's not even in the rest of the movie. Mm-mm. Which was crazy to me. Mm-hmm. 
Just that one scene where he's like scoping it out, really. That's it, yeah. yeah. And then it's funny because then I feel like people immediately had to jump on something else because they're like, well, shit, he didn't do that. So we need to get mad at something else. So then people are like getting mad at the Bruce Lee scene, which I do get. I get that because even watching, like, because like his daughter was kind of ticked off that people were like, I felt like people were laughing at my father. And I was like, granted, I am one of those people that was laughing at that scene. I was not laughing at Bruce Lee. I highly respect that person. He's one of my, like, top ten filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Like, great, like, amazing person if you read about his life. But the reason the scene's making me laugh is because, like, you, you expect me to believe Brad Pitt somehow threw him into a car. Like, <laughs> no. And even, like, even, like... Quentin Tarantino's backtrack is like, well, we don't know if this character would be able... Because this character is fake. We don't know if he'd be able to beat up Bruce Lee. And he's like, and I knew... I've heard Bruce Lee was pretty cocky. I know he was. Because... And I... Whatever the point of view is, the point is... No, I don't believe even that character could beat up Bruce Lee. And that's why I thought it was a dream Because he didn't, like, pick him up and throw him. He just used his weight against him. Because he, like, basically did, like, a roundhouse kick. And he just, like, grabbed him and used his momentum to throw him. And then he just got the breath knocked out of him at that point. Like, no, no, I still I don't thought mind. it was great. I, I think it was a great scene, but like it, the point is, like it's not believable. And I thought it was supposed to be a dream sequence because that's what it seems like, right? Like, like none of that happened. That he was just like on top of the roof all of a sudden. He's like, nah, I won't go over there because like he was like picturing that all in his head. But some people were saying it's a flashback. Just and that's the reason why they don't want him in set anymore. That's why he got kicked he, out. Yeah, that, yeah. that was a flashback. And I was like, oh, it is a flashback, but. Point is, no, I don't accept that this character could have beat up Bruce Lee. I still enjoyed the scene, but everybody who's like mad about it, especially like his daughter, like I totally get it. And it's like, yeah, you're you're right. Because even that, as like a Bruce Lee fan, I was like, I was a little bothered by accepted it after I found out, oh, it's not real. But then to find out, oh, it was a flashback. So it did happen within the movie. I'm like, no, he, nobody could beat up Bruce Lee. Give me a break. I don't care what strategy you're using. That would not have happened. End of story. Give me a break. Brad Pitt at like Fort. No, <laughs> I do think Brad Pitt had all the best scenes. Leo had the best arc, but he, he had, had the, the better scenes. scenes, especially when he went to the uh, the ranch. Mm-hmm. And you just have no <laughs> idea what's going on. That hippie. <laughs> yeah, I had. I really. I only liked the Brad Pitt scenes. I almost kind of wish that they would have swapped. Where he was the main character? Yeah. I think it'd be so interesting to see Leonardo DiCaprio play, like, a quiet guy and play, like, second fiddle and then see Brad Pitt play the emotional lead. Mm Mm-hmm. But then have Leonardo DiCaprio be the one who is, like, ripped on top of the roof, like, fixing something, and he's the one that's, like, fights Bruce Lee and then... (laughs) Like, he's the one that has, like, the actual Western showdown in the in the old filming location. And, like, I, Brad Pitt is perfect for the role he was in. Like, 100%. He is, like, the Hollywood good-looking guy, you know? Old-time, old old-timer almost, you know? But for interest-wise, like, I liked all Leonardo DiCaprio's scenes, but really, it's I couldn't wait for Brad Pitt to come back on screen. I, um, it was, like, full of moments where I was, like, <laughs> as something was happening, I was like, oh, please don't happen, please don't happen. I was always, like, satisfied, and I was like, oh, thank God. Like, mm-hmm. especially when he goes to the ranch, you're, like, constantly waiting, like, oh, when are they gonna 
finally like tackle him or capture him or kill him or what are they going to do to him mm. and they just kind of let everything still play out and I was like oh my god just get out of there already and Brad mm. Pitt's like playing it so cool like as like as if he's one step ahead of them but I'm like I'm not even sure he is but I think he thinks he is but then he gets out of it and I'm just like Jesus he's too confident mm-hmm. or that scene well it's paced like a western mm-hmm. duel like a duel about to happen you know mm-hmm. and then like that scene where he's like with that girl who is not 18 and you're just like please don't do it like please don't do it like because I'm just like I, I feel like they're building towards that and I hope they don't do that because I kind of like this guy and I hope they mm-hmm. don't and they don't do it and I'm like Thank God! Like, yeah, I'm well, glad he was like above that. He was like, "You're an idiot." Like, <laughs> I, I didn't think it would happen because people so often talk about Quentin Tarantino's being like this raunchy director. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people say that, but if, as far as I can think back, there's I can only think of three like even close to like sex scenes in any of his movies, including that real quick glimpse in Inglorious Bastards, including that one. Yeah, there's that one, <laughs> which is done Jackie Brown, and then the. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's it. You know. Oh, the camp. Oh, yeah, I suppose that is the sex, sex scene. scene. Hateful Eight. Well, oh, well, I guess. Yeah, I didn't think <laughs> yeah. about that. Um, the scene. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, they're all... All those are played off as kind of humorous in a way. Even though two of them are kind of rapey, but, like, they're all yeah, kind of... Pulp Fiction's pretty... But in a funny way. <laughs> but, like, it, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. I, the Pulp Fiction one, I guess not, but, like... I don't know, when you got that gimp hanging there, I mean, it's kind of hard not to laugh. Like, it's so, it's such conflicting emotions, these movies. Yeah. Um, it's what he wants. Right. Uh, what do you think of the ending? Because we haven't gotten to the ending of the movie oh yet. The greatest. The cherry on top. <laughs> mm-hmm. The fact that they're all just out of it from, like, drugs and drinking, and, <laughs> and they just kill these guys. Amazing. It was one of the- I, I wasn't sure if it was going to go down that way. I knew, like, as soon as they walked in and, like, they were at Sharon Tate's house, I knew, I'm like, okay, this is historical fiction town. Like, this isn't Yeah, a... so until they walked into um, Leonardo DiCaprio's house, I was like, okay, so it's still, like, this is where the big finale is. Then they walk into his house, and I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> did, that, yeah. did that scene where that, um... Well, no, because the girl leaves after Leonardo stops him, so I guess... There was originally four people that yeah. went to murder. Okay. And then when the girl left, I was like, this is a little wrong, but, like, I'll ignore it for now. Mm-hmm. And then when they walked into his house, I was like, this is super, like, right. interesting, though, that, like, he adds that, because it's like, wow, you know what, maybe if these people would have taken, like, five seconds longer to think about what they're doing, maybe they would have escaped, and one of them did. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know what, if they would have originally done that, there's one person that would have, like, kind of saved their lives from, like, a misery of prison and such. <laughs> but, like, even now, they're still in prison, and they're like, I don't regret anything. They're still crazy. Like, they're still just crazy. It's so crazy. I don't think thinking about it would have helped. Well, I'm saying, though, like, because I, 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 even then, I was, like, watching them all at that ranch, and I'm like, there's got to be someone who's, like, not as crazy, because there always is, where they're like, I don't know about this, and I'm glad that they kind of showed that, where I was, like, mm-hmm. the one girl who was like, I, I just kind of want to go home. Like, <laughs> I'm doing my daughter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, when they go back though, and they're like, "We're gonna go kill this other guy instead," because you know, TV influenced us. And it's funny that they're just constructing a reason to do it, mm-hmm. as if it's like a really good notion. I'm like, yeah, this is how crazy people are. They're just come, they're coming up with these ideas that seem compelling, but they're not. They're just baked up in a car real quick. Yeah. And 
God, that like payoff is so great, especially with the dog that he's been like feeding the Trained, entire movie, yeah. and suddenly you're like, oh yeah, he's trained very well. <laughs> um, and God, some of the ways they just kill them, it's just ridiculous. He smashes that well, the flamethrower that he smashes that one girl's head like against like the banister of yeah. like the fireplace, mm-hmm. but the flamethrower was like. That's what it's all been leading to, like, because we saw the flamethrower earlier when he was testing it. Then we see it later in like the shed, and you're like, it's all been building towards this moment. Here it comes. <laughs> They're playing that wonderful music from that movie again. Want some fried sauerkraut. <laughs> I just love how like chill they are about it too. I-, I like that they stay friends towards the end of the movie. They never break their friendship. That is mm-hmm. so great. Mm-hmm. And I do like that when the people next door are asking about. It, he's like. Oh, these people are just crazy. They try killing us. <laughs> He's just so chill yeah. about like saying I cooked one of them with the flamethrower. <laughs> and she's like, flamethrower? He's like, yeah, I just yeah, got in the shed. Back in shed. That one's in the pool. He's like, you know, they're 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 not gonna be okay. Like it's like, dude, they're probably dead. Like, what are you even talking about? Like he was acting like they weren't dead. Like, dude, they they're done. Like, are you kidding me? Maybe the guy got his nuts bitten off, maybe it's fine, but I don't know, the other two, they can't be fine. There's no way. There was a, said they were all dead. There was a second when I thought that, like, and maybe it's like a, a conspiracy theory now, but, like, that there's that there were other murders because, like, when he opens the gate to go up to Sharon Tate's house, mm-hmm. there's, like, this really eerie music for a couple seconds or, it, like, zooms down the lane. And, like, yeah. I thought, like, oh, like, he's about to go up there and then... More murders about to show up, if and I'm this not is like mistaken, a. You know. There were two separate murders. I haven't read about this in a long time. Maybe. Yep, there were five adults total, and then Sharon Tate was pregnant, so one unborn baby. So technically, six lives were lost. Hmm. Um, and the there were place. only three. I was wrong. There were only it was Tex, Susan, and then Patricia that were the murderers. It was something like Rex. <laughs> um, no, his name was Tex in the movie. Huh? The guy? No, yeah, his name was Tex, but Brad Pitt calls him Rex later. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he was like, wait a minute, I remember I know you. you. <laughs> Rex, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, four and a half out of five, I think, still, though. I think, I think I gave I gave it. It. Four, maybe? Maybe, maybe it's four. I gave it four and a half. It's number five on my I list. I gave it four. Thoroughly entertaining. I don't know if I'd call it rewatchable, but like everything about it is done good and great, and I loved it. I would watch it if it was at that theater that, down the street. That's yeah, it. I wouldn't watch Which, it at home probably. I, I missed it. Yeah, I didn't have time. But yeah. um, I guess yeah, if we want to, if you want to go through the ranking of all your yeah. Tarantino movies, he's at ten now. If you call Kill Bill two movies, so there you go. He's done already. <laughs> Um, but yeah, what's all your list then? Uh, I'll go. <clears throat> uh, number, are we doing Kill Bill as one or two? Do it however you want. Like, number, keep true. I'm rating minus two right now. Okay, then number ten is Jackie Brown. Number nine is Death Proof. Number eight is Kill Bill Volume 2. Number seven is Kill Bill. Number six is Reservoir Dogs. Number five is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number four is Hateful Eight. Number three is Pulp Fiction. Number two is Django Unchained. And number one is Inglorious Bastards. Me next? Yeah. Okay. 
I guess I can do Kill Bill as two. So number ten is Jackie Brown, nine is Death Proof, eight is Reservoir Dogs, seven is Pulp Fiction, six is Django, five is Hateful Eight, four is Once Upon a Time, three is Inglorious Bastards, and then two is Kill Bill Volume Two, and one is Kill Bill Volume One. Um, I consider Kill Bill two different movies, but um, Kill Bill Volume Two is ten. Hateful Eight is nine. Number eight is Death Proof. Number seven is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number six is Reservoir Dogs. Number five is Kill Bill Volume One. Number four is Jackie Brown. Number three is Pulp Fiction. Number two, Inglorious Bastards. And number one is Django Unchained. For me, number ten is Jackie Brown. Number nine is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number eight is Death Proof. Number seven is Reservoir Dogs. Number six is Inglorious Bastards. Number five is Pulp Fiction. Three and four, Kill Bill, Kill Bill 2. Number two is Django Unchained. Number one is Hateful Eight. And if you watch Django Unchained backwards, it's uh, the sad story of a couple getting a divorce and then the husband ends up in slavery and we call it Django Rechained. It's pretty depressing. <laughs> do you want to do last movie on earth? We've already gone this long. I feel like yeah. this is going to be a two-parter. I feel like I'm going to edit it that way. Yeah, it's um, be for the best. Has it even been that long? I mean, it's been like two and a half hours. We started hours. at oh, wow. ten. It's true. I could do this one episode since, you know, it needs to be episode 49 technically. <laughs> um... But yeah, um, and Chloe, I don't know if, like, Hateful Eight's technically your last movie, but you can change it if you want. No, that was last week. Oh. Wait, wait, you watched it last... I thought... Uh, I finished it right before our live episode. Oh, oh, okay. Never mind, then. Is everybody ready? Uh, mm-hmm. We have as a score, Zach's at 39, Chloe's at 40, uh, Justin's at 58, and Hunter is at 66. Six, you son of the beast. Want me to go first? Oh, yeah. Cool. In the run-up to the 1972 elections, Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward covers what seems to be a minor break-in at the Democratic Party National Headquarters. Um, All the President's Men? Yeah. That is the title. Okay. I was going to say Forrest Gump. I've been wanting to see this movie for years. How did you like it? I really liked it a lot. It's like, for me, it's exactly where Spotlight got its juice from. Mm-hmm. You know? Hmm. Vice rolled in. It's, it's, it's just where that style, I think. I, I haven't seen a movie earlier than this that has that style. So I'm kind of working my way through a lot of these older... Movies on the on the AFI Top 100 list, and this is up there. So I, last week I watched The Graduate for the first time. You know, for getting... the first time. Mm-hmm. It's different, but I liked it. Nice. I can go. <clears throat> Wait, how long is a movie like theatrical movie? 40 minutes. Okay, I'm good. That's the Academy length. But, uh, yeah. That's what we're going off of, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Zim discovers his almighty leader. Invader Zim. Yeah, I have the full title. Never had any intention of. <laughs> I don't know the full title. And he loses confidence in. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? <laughs> it, what, is this the one that's on Netflix? Yeah. And they also had a Rocco's Modern Life on Netflix. I watched these back to back. How many Netflix specials are they doing? I don't know. Was Invader Zim a good one? We don't know the full They're name. They're both really good. Do you know the full name? I don't know the full name. Invader Zim Enter the Florpus. <laughs> yeah, none of us would have gotten the Florpus. Do we, do we, do, so nobody gets points? Is it you who's getting the points? <laughs> it's up to you. None of us can guess the full title. I, I say, yeah, I feel that's like you fine. need the full title. Because I feel like we should have known, given that's on Netflix and it was being... Well, I think, like, everyone looks at it like, oh, it's Invader Zim, but no one cares to look at the subtitle. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised you would remember. I would, I would have done... I would have done the Rocco one otherwise. I, I still don't know the proper subtitle for that Dora movie I saw, so, like... The Golden... whatever? In the Lost City of Gold, gold The Golden city Shower. Of gold. <laughs> Lost City of Gold. <laughs> That's horrible. But no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really We're the Rocco's all... Modern Life one was really good. They both felt like their respective shows. Do I need to watch the TV shows to enjoy them? Because I, no. I, I've seen bits of Invaders. No. They, they... No. You, you I can watch them stand alone. I get like you kind of have to that. know like. Have you seen any of Invaders in? I, like I know the premise, and I've seen uh, bits and pieces. He's been to Hot Topic. Yeah. It, <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, no, you don't really have to know. You kind of get the gist from the first ten minutes. I just I kind of wanted to watch them, but I always get like that with like TV, especially when there's like specials or movies where I'm like, oh, I need to watch the whole series first. And I'm like, like how? I never really watched Rocco's Modern Life, but I knew like how. Like, I've seen bits and pieces on reruns and stuff, but mm-hmm. the movie felt like this is how it probably felt in the 90s. Like, it was very similar humor, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Nice. But, yeah. Who next? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Following a string of murders in the asylum where she's confined, Nika begins to read begins to wonder whether this murderer is real after all. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why have you seen that? I know what it is. I was just thinking about this movie the other day. I'm never gonna remember. I'm never gonna know. Okay, Boogeyman 2? No. Am I close? No. Okay, never mind then. (laughs) I'm not gonna know. Read it again. Oh, come. Oh, well, say the director, actually. Is it a sequel? Uh, yes. Okay, maybe that's not the one. Don be... Mancini? <sighs> Name Booking Nuts, too. The <laughs> number one actor is Brad Dorif. Okay, give me the year. I'll narrow 2017. it down. 2017. Nope. Oh, okay, I yeah, know. I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> Yikes. Following a string of murders in the asylum where she's confined, Nika begins to weather... Wonder whether this murderer is real after all. Oh wait, I don't remember this commercial. Huh. Our lips are sealed. Uh, you already guessed. I know. I'm just trying to guess the actress now. Um, no, it's the actress. The actress that plays Nika. Yeah. Fiona Dorif. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds I like the a familiar premise. It should be. It's not the first sequel. Jesus. It's not the first sequel? Like, it's... Yeah, no. Is that books? Yes. 
Saw 8. No. <laughs> what is it? Sod. Cult of Chucky. Oh my god. I was thinking, like, Wait, after you what? said it's not yeah. the first sequel, I'm like, a this can't be a Chucky movie. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. That's what it's about. Uh-huh. And that's their premise. They don't even mention Chucky. Uh, or did you kind of I couldn't it? say Chucky because then you guys would have gotten it. But it's in the asylum. Yeah. That's so weird. That's You know, maybe it's good they rebooted it. It's kind of weird. What'd you think? I like the newest one the best. The, the newest one. Oh, yeah, that was so good. You're my best friend. Have you seen the Boogeyman movies? No. Boogeyman I've heard 2. about them. I should watch it's them. It's like a... The boogeyman like targets you by your fears, and she's like in an asylum. She's like a survivor, yeah. And he shows up and like kills them all by the biggest fears. And so like one guy's a germaphobe, and so he like puts cockroaches in a bag of chips. That's so nice. And then he like starts throwing up, and then you see his dark figure, and he like rolls over like a bottle of like hydrogen peroxide, and he like drinks it and dies. And then like uh, one guy, one girl's like afraid of. Uh, electric shock therapy because her mom died that way and like he does that to her and stuff that's a lot like the movie um fear.com it's like really not old but like early 2000s and like Mm -hmm. if you visit this website then like the ghost of the website kills you by your biggest fear so like a lady was afraid of bugs and she got like swarmed by cockroaches and fell out a window because they like chased her out the window oh okay okay Doug McRae is a longtime thief who, smarter than the rest of his crew, is looking for his chance to exit the game when a bank job leads to the group kidnapping an attractive branch manager. He takes on the role of monitoring her, but their burgeoning relationship threatens to unveil the identities of Doug and the his town. crew. That is the film, directed by Ben Affleck. If you would have watched my video recently, you would have known I bought it. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's alright. You like it? You know? Yeah, it was alright. I think I, really I think like my it. issue is that like I, I see a lot of these movies as like kind of the same. You know, these kind of uh crime thrillers, I guess you would call them. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I felt like it was Michael Mann's heat a lot. You know? It felt like that and Maybe. And, Chris- seen heat yet. and Christopher Nolan, that's like one of his favorite movies, and I felt the Christopher Nolan vibe in this movie. It felt kind of like The Dark Knight without Batman. Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird, because yeah. like, Ben Affleck almost directed the Batman movie, and I'm like, I feel like here he's... It was two years after The Dark Knight, and I'm like, I really feel like he was influenced by that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Someone even on Letterboxd, I wish I could just kind of name the person who said it, but... Their review of it is like, so Ben Affleck saw the opening of The Dark Knight and said, what if that was an entire movie? And it was like, it does kind of feel like what it is. My only issue with it is that it it doesn't seem to focus very much on everything. Like, it, there seems to be like a lot of weird, like, random storylines that aren't really tied up or that they're introduced but it doesn't seem like they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, Jeremy Renner, who I was amped to be in the movie, just kind of seemed like his whole storyline, I never really knew where it was going, and not in a good way, mm-hmm. and it kind of really? just ended, and I was like, I don't know really how I feel about any of this, and there's, like, other things that just kind of pop up, just sort of to be there, I guess, as, like, an aha moment, like, when the bad guys first escape, and they end up in, like, kind of in a lesser-known part of town, 
there's like a cop immediately right next to them, but he just kind of turns away because he's like, I, and I get it because like the cops like, if I try to take on these guys right now, they're just gonna kill me. So it's better to just save my own life and act like I didn't see them, and they don't do anything to him, mm-hmm. which is a cool scene. But it they don't do anything with it for the rest of the movie. And there's, that's what I mean. Like, the whole movie's kind of filled with stuff like that. Well, yeah, he knows he'll die, but he also can't go back and say I didn't do anything. Right. So and I get it. And it's like a cool scene because... And it's adding to the whole element of what it's like to be in this criminal world and what people will do about crime. But what I mean is that it just... It feels like the whole movie was filled with stuff like that where it's like, what is this really adding? Like, it's cool separately, but what is it adding to the whole... And granted, I watched the extended cut, so I don't know mm. if there's like a bunch of added stuff. And I watched on accident because I popped it in the player. It has the theatrical and the extended cut on one disc, and I just pressed play. I didn't. It didn't give me the option to choose. And then I, I didn't. I wanted to watch the theatrical cut first, and I had to watch the extended cut. So whatever. Mm. I didn't watch the extended cut with the alternate ending, from what I understand. I haven't seen the extended cut. I didn't know there was one. Well, the ending you saw did it end in. In Florida. Jeez. Can't remember. You can't remember even. He shoots up the shop. Yeah. And then, um, he, and then he escapes. Is that how you remember it? Does it show him in Florida? I think he's just like in a van or on a train to Florida. Okay, in my version, he's in Florida. Okay. So... What does he do? In the, he's just there in Florida. So I guess he's like, like writing a letter, making a phone call. He like he wrote a letter to the girl, but like he's in Florida. So maybe my version just shows him in Florida, like mm-hmm. that he made it. But I there's there's the extended cuts on a separate disc that has the alternate ending. I wanted to make sure I didn't see the one with the alternate ending because it felt very like I didn't feel like it was gonna end like that. I felt like he was gonna die, you know, and he doesn't. And I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe I'm watching the alternate cut, but. I mean, the alternate ending version. It's confusing. There's too many versions. The point, it's fine. It's a fine enough movie, but mm. I, I like Argo better, if you ask me. Argo is... Really? Yeah. Argo is one, one of my favorite movies, honestly. Wow. Like, if I were to throw it like, on a top 100 list, yeah. I, I, I love Argo a lot. I think it was a good... Argo is a good movie. I I just... For me, it was like a one-time watch. It really? was Argo. Mm-hmm. The town I've seen probably three or four times. Really? Yeah, like it. I'd still watch it again. Yeah. That's what you said. There's extended cut. I'm like, I'm gonna watch it. You want to borrow it? Yeah, give it a watch. Because like I said, it comes with two different cuts. There's the extended cut, and then there's extended cut with alternate end or alternate mm-hmm. ending. Can't even talk right now. Anyways, we're going long enough. Um, but thanks for joining us for a little Quentin Tarantino chit chat. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> I appreciated that we all saw the movies. At mm-hmm. least. We saw. Now we just gotta watch Planet Terror and do our big Robert mm-hmm. Rodriguez episode, right? Mm-hmm. We watch Spy Kids and and Shark Boy and Lava Girl and, and all Sh- the Dusk Till Dawn. I still spark. have the 3D DVD version of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and I have one pair of lava glasses and one pair of shark. Glasses. We will share that. <laughs> we'll all we'll come in half, four. and then we we'll each get a, a yes. uh, monocle. How about shorts? Actually, Ooh. 3D doesn't work. Is that the one with the yeah. yeah? 3D doesn't work with that, that way. I'm him, thinking. Wasn't <laughs> wasn't I was supposed to see that movie with Hunter, but I what movie? Shorts. Shorts. You didn't go see it with us. Mm-mm. I, I didn't get to go for some reason. The but you kid all has a phone yeah. head. Yeah, I was dating Haley back then. <laughs> Went with Candace Scott. Picked up all the Grand Rapids. I was the only boy. Maybe Evan was there. I don't know. 
I didn't go. <laughs> that was Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Well, huh. Always remember. <laughs> oh, anyways. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, always remember. Always be aware. Always remember. <laughs> it's remember. And always remember. Beware. Always yeah, beware of the cinema, cinema swamp. Remember. And Jack Courtney oh. has yet to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Or Anne Ellen Sandler. Thanks for listening to the episode. So what do you think of Quentin Tarantino's movies and which is your personal favorite and which one do you like the least? Are you actually not a fan of Quentin Tarantino and can you explain why? Leave a comment on this podcast, like our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cinema Swamp, and remember, always beware of the Cinema Swamp.